0: I'm Alex Shaw
1: I'm Sharon Shaw And
0: And welcome welcome to to... School of Movies (laughs) Muppet's Christmas Carol Bah, humbug He was the greediest man alive
2: It's Ebenezer Scrooge
3: Until the night He met someone extraordinary Hello The Muppet Christmas Carol
4: I'll drink to Mr. Scrooge Even though he is odious (laughs) Stingy And badly dressed. Humbug. Oh, there
5: goes Mr. Humbug, there
2: goes Mr. Grin. Do you think it's safe for us to be up here? Ah! If they gave a prize for being me, the winner would be
6: him.
5: Yes,
7: Mr. Cratchit. Uh, if you please, Mr. Scrooge. The bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire.
3: such a
7: How would the
5: bookkeepers like to be suddenly
3: unemployed? Heat this is my
8: it's Charles Dickens classic tale. Oh! As only the Muppets can tell it. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again.
3: Filled with holiday warmth.
4: Hey 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 like the lamb not the rat like the lamb not the
3: rat. And Christmas spirit. <sighs> Jacob Marley.
2: Oh, that's scary stuff. Should we be worried about the kids in the audience? No, it's all right. This is culture.
3: This is the movie to see, to share, to cherish with someone you love.
2: Thank you for making me a part of this.
3: Walt Disney Pictures presents, from Jim Henson Productions, The Muppet Christmas Carol.
9: God
2: bless us, everyone.
9: Whatever.
0: This is a film that I already visited as a solo host back in the winter of 2011 on Digital Gonzo, the second incarnation of my show, with Taylor Nova and Matthew Ramsey as my guests.
10: It is exceptionally important to remember that this novella was originally published during a resurgence of interest in the traditions of Christmas to the English. At the time, many of the hallmarks we take for granted as having existed tempus tempest immemorial, a.k.a. forever, that's a little Garth Marenghi for you, <laughs> <laughs> had only just been introduced or reintroduced, including keeping a fir tree in your home, 1841, the sending of greetings cards, 1843, and the revival of carol singing. The Victorian reckoning of Yuletide has endured in Western culture so tenaciously that it's not much of a stretch for us to connect how we celebrate the season now with what we see in these films. The tale has been viewed as an indictment of 19th century industrial capitalism and has been credited with restoring the holiday to one of merriment and festivity in Britain and America after a period of sobriety and somberness. This story hit just at the right time and struck just the right tone in terms of Christmas. This was the Star Wars of its day. Dickens was 31 when he wrote this, and it's rather astonishingly powerful piece of writing, with damning judgments of the wealthy and selfish upperclassmen of the age, chilling portrayals of the hardships the poor had to endure, and a firm and confident message to the former that their help and generosity towards the latter would bring about an ever-multiplying state of happiness for all concerned. Dickens had experienced much hardship growing up and was thrust from relative comfort into factory work at the age of 12 due to his father's imprisonment, which clearly had some significant bearing on the portrayal of Scrooge's father and indeed Scrooge himself. He took particular issue with the way children of the era were treated so abominably, hence Oliver Twist, which he completed four years previously, and a pamphlet he began writing in early 1843 entitled An Appeal to the People of England on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. He decided against releasing that pamphlet and instead crafted it into a story we know as A Christmas Carol. It was his hope that this would have 20,000 times the impact of a straightforward lecture. And the fact that we're talking about it now in 2011 tells me that he succeeded. Bear in mind that at five shillings per book, which is roughly £20.79, only the rich could afford this. On a side note, that also means that at 15 shillings a week, the Cratchits were struggling to survive on £60 a week. Dickens self-funded the publishing and did not receive particularly grand recompense at first. This wasn't helped in 1844 when book pirates cheaply distributed his work, declaring bankruptcy when he sued them and costing him another small fortune.
0: In fact, if you go to our website at the NewCenturyMultiverse.com, which has a full School of Movies section, there is an official School of Movies list of episodes, each with a link so that you can listen to everything we've ever done. This was Volume 1, Episode 21, originally. What you're listening to now is Volume 11, Episode 42. Back then, we were also covering, in the same show, the 2009 Bob Zemeckis version starring Jim Carrey, and it was a comparative episode. Now, on the 30-year anniversary of the Henson version, with Sharon, who's been my co-host these past nine years, better recording equipment, sharper critical minds, and two Muppet expert guests. A warm welcome to the hosts of the Rainbow Connection podcast, Mackenzie Eastrum.
6: Come in and know me better, man.
0: And Nathan Eastrum.
11: Bah, humbug.
0: <laughs> we decided that the film deserved a royal revisit, so that makes this episode a remake of sorts. I was going to say a director's cut, but that's not necessarily true. It's a remake, but by the same director, which doesn't happen very often. So hopefully this is more, less like Michael Haneke's... Funny games remake where he hectors the audience just for walking into his movie again, and more like Michael Mann's heat compared to the scrappy LA takedown prototype that was essential to sort of f- f- form the framework of that magnificent 90s thriller. This film has finally been remastered after an archival print was discovered which allowed the team to restore the infamous Jeffrey Katzenberg excised song, When Love Is Gone. At the time of recording, this is currently a hidden version on Disney+, Plus, found in the extras, you require a little article to tell you how to find it, and it's labelled as the full-length version. But not in all territories, and we'll talk more about that song in a bit. The Muppets, despite everyone knowing who they are, were never AAA blockbuster feature folks. They were the quirky, weird, anarchic, crazed vaudeville troupe, eh? always teetering at the edge of cancellation, hanging on by the skin of their felt teeth. This released only a year and a half after the May 1990 death of Jim Henson, coinciding with a difficult Disney buyout following a string of TV shows that were becoming increasingly less favoured by the networks, like the Jim Henson Hour, Muppet Television, and the absolutely wonderful Anthony Minghella series, The Storyteller, which we will one day talk about his son, Brian, made Muppet's Christmas Carol, and it was his directorial debut, and he came out the gate with a carefully crafted, actual bona fide masterpiece. On release in the winter of 92, this film perfectly in line with its scrappy cast of oddball outsiders, was discarded, ignored, and dismissed by an Aladdin-guzzling theatre audience, earning a piffling $27 million on a $12 million budget up against Robin Williams' fabulous genie Sitting Pretty on half a billion dollars. Even critics were divided, with the Tomatometer sat at 76%. Jonathan Rosenbaum of The Chicago Reader wrote, This is the dullest and least successful adaptation of this Christmas chestnut that I have ever seen. Rita Kempsley of the Washington Post wrote: Neither drama nor comedy. It's safe stuff and most unmuppet-like. So much for great expectations, i yeah, not well, quite. I thank God I wore my corset, for I think my sides have split. However, Bob Bloom, economically of the Lafayette Journal and Courier, simply expressed, Bar Humbug, one out of five. One out of five. One out of five. (laughs) But the Christmas after the home video version, notably with that song Restored, only to be later stripped back out for its puzzling, theatrically accurate widescreen DVD version... One, it's real lasting audience in children and families, and just like It's a Wonderful Life, it was given a chance to blossom for holiday season after holiday season as the kind of appointment viewing like, well it's Christmas, we gotta watch Muppet's Christmas Carol for us, like it was it's a ritual every Christmas morning. It was weird watching it today, because I was like, Oh fucking now we gotta cook the dinner, and then there's presents and oh oh, it's not Christmas Day. I'm alright. <laughs> now, in its thirtieth year, it feels all the more evergreen. So we're going to start with a little chat about the model work of London because there is some masterful stuff going and in this new print, I really love the fact that you can see the texture and you can see the craft on show here.
6: So as is the case with basically any Muppet property, the size of things has to be adjusted to Mm. make up for the fact that the cast is all, you know, two foot tall puppet people and the manner in which they've done this in the Christmas Carol is just astounding miniature but not like like quarter-sized recreations of chunks of London in a in a style that kind of straddles the line between realism and something out of a a Christmas card that I just just adore. Mm-hmm.
11: <laughs> Yeah, there's something almost uh, German expressionist in the way mm. that the models are constructed. All of the angles are a little bit slanted, like the houses are a little bit leaning to one side or the other. Everything is very closely shoved together. Like it gives this very dense feeling to the city. All of the miniatures are like three foot tall buildings that are placed at forced perspective distances, which really gives it an incredible sense of scale that mm. is not not real but uh through movie magic it really looks like this is a full bustling city
1: the um the houses and all the buildings really remind me of those you may remember these alex in britain there used to be this line of cottages that were lamps that you could buy and you'd like set them around your house and, turn, and when you plugged them in, this warm golden glow would come out through the cottage windows. And if you had enough of them, you could assemble them to look like a little rural town. Mm-hmm. And the, the London that they've created very much feels like that to me. And it's, it's the London of Christmas cards and sort of this idealised version of it because if you literally replicate, replicated the London of that era everything would just be covered in two inches of soot yeah, it'd and be everybody miserable. would be coughing and choking and, and there'd be horse crap all over the place yeah. and yeah.
0: In effect it's the London idealized by Dickens at the end of the book which then sort of took hold as, yeah, maybe we should bring a tree into the home.
1: Mm, yeah. Well that that sense of the world is not great but we can make it so by behaving better. Also the London of a world where all of the vegetables can sing. Mm. So it's- there is that, yes. <laughs> yeah. The, actually, the the market was something that immediately made me think that they, they're creating this sense of abundance that there's there is an abundance here, and it's not being allowed for the people who need it. But without really having to say a word, they just show it.
0: Yeah. It's a happy, busy place, but there is like this sort of like a, a little wink and a nod. Oh, some of these Muppets will be dead before the end of the day because they're food. <laughs> and uh, they kind of they blend a version of London with kind of the antics that you've seen on the Muppet show before. So the whole boomerang fish thing, you're like, oh, OK, so it's the Muppets, but they're in Dickensian London. It's 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 a neat way of contextualizing what's what you're about to see. And all of the people, like, you occasionally get humans wandering around. They're like, yes, yes, Muppets over here, singing food, this is all fine, which kind of prepares you for how completely straight Michael Caine's about to play it.
9: Yes,
6: it does a really fantastic job in that opening number of establishing exactly what tone they are going for Mm. for this particular version of A Christmas Carol, because it is a story that you can approach from a couple different angles, and the whimsical... Angle is certainly the best fit for the Muppets to have approached better than, as you'd mentioned in the previous episode, the sheer horror of the Zemeckis version.
0: We're not going to talk about that because we talked about that back in the original one, and I want to give people a reason to go back to that original one because we talked about it quite warmly. Yeah, my goodness, that film has not aged well. Like I was, we were going, "Eh, it's a little creaky when it was only two years old. Now it's thirteen years old, and the. Scrooge still looks twisted and 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 like like they put a lot of work into him but he is surrounded by creeps and scary monsters who are supposed to look like lovely londoners.
6: <laughs> Creepy little doll people.
0: Mm. And you like, like- it falls down the most in uh, when it gets to the Cratchit household because everyone looks like they're a potato that came to life. And you could say, well, this is actually what people would have looked like in those days. But then Scrooge goes for a roller coaster ride with a ring wraith, and it's like they weren't going after absolute realism. You could have made the Cratchit family a bit more adorable,
6: which is well something they do succeed in in the Muppet version. Oh my drink. goodness,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You almost forget that the Cratchit family are poor because of how much warmth is in that home. So, uh oh, I'm so glad you mentioned German expressionism because that's kind of tied links in my head. Like I I was never quite able to sort of put these together. But uh the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh that the that old style of German expressionism, which we actually watched quite a few of this uh year. We had like a Sharon and I did like a month of watching old, old Gothic films. And if you then look forwards to what Tim Burton did with a lot of his sets, and, and there's, that, there's a little bit of that false perspective, especially in his earlier works where he didn't have so much of a budget and they weren't going to throw in quite so much heavy CG. But if you then look at the section where um, Kermit's doing the Scats song of "'Tis the season to be jolly and joyous," he's uh-huh. walking along a barrel and it's a moving barrel to give you an impression of a long street extending. And the camera is actually slowly moving past the the small, small set. But it's giving you a sense of depth that isn't there with very clever little tricks that feel very Victorian theatrical, which is so period appropriate.
6: Yes, it, this movie I'm extremely grateful they made just before any uh, CG would have been more... Yeah cheap to, to utilise. There's only like one digital effect in this film and the rest of it is done with oh, puppetry was it? sets and compositing.
0: Which was the digital effect?
11: Uh, the transition with Christmas Future where everything swirls into a... Uh... a...
0: Oh, yeah, the no, yeah. big
11: circle and then it reforms into the next set.
6: Which is yeah. not the strongest transition in the movie by a long shot.
9: Yeah.
0: Back in uh, in those days it was things like look okay so it's going to be almost it's going to be all practical either in camera or we'll add stuff with by ILM and occasionally they'd go we've asked Pixar to make the Genesis sequence and they'd have <laughs> one bit
1: Oh, does all the sparkly lights around Christmas present when he disappears count?
0: Oh, those would be like sort of uh ILM type stuff. I don't I wouldn't necessarily uh twin them with CG. If you look back to the 80s, there was a lot of twinkly stuff and, and shiny mm. things and and this it feels very much like it's at the end of the 80s. It's the it's it's what a summer before Jurassic Park came and changed everything. So it's where where are uh, we're on Christmas Eve at this stage. Mm-hmm. Effectively. Yes. That's
6: another thing about it being a Christmas classic, I think, is that it is it feels very visceral in a way that people can can physically connect to.
0: Yeah. Zumecas' Christmas Carol is a lot more jolly and a lot more soaring than than the reality that we got, which is a lot more whooping cough and cholera. So
6: Don't forget the tuberculosis.
0: Oh let's not forget the TB. The importance of Gonzo and Rizzo, I had not realised until I started really super researching uh, the Christmas Carol story. Quite how few versions of it have Gonzo and Rizzo, or indeed a narrator, giving us the Christmas Carol. They were actually pretty far into production before Jerry Jewell said, "Why don't we have Gonzo as a narrator?" to sort of guide the kids through, because otherwise you're losing a lot of one of the best aspects of the book, which is the prose. And having narrated it myself, I went out of my way. I didn't even know that he had said or done that, or how few versions have the same thing. That prose talking directly to you, the reader that Dickens wrote. Why did you get married? One might almost think he was changing the subject. But as my horsey friend and I watched him, we saw the threads form between question and response.
2: Because I fell in love.
0: Was her reply. The words earnest and genuine, with no intent to impress, deflect, or exaggerate. This was the truth. Because
12: you fell in love. That is the only thing in this world or the other more ridiculous than
0: a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Admonishes Scrooge and makes fun of him the whole way through. It's light-hearted, but at the same time points out when things are dark and uh, uh, and when things are twisted. And it it's florid in its descriptions, and I adore seeing Gonzo repeat these lines to me, and they are remarkably accurate to the actual original text. There's definite changing words to accommodate for an audience of young American children, but they keep the core of almost every important line.
6: It is one of the more accurate Christmas Carol adaptations and Gonzo's narration is a large part of what gets that through is that he is there, as you said, to give some of the most important lines of the piece, there's often in adaptations, and I grew up doing adaptations of this show every year uh, in theater, when you don't have that, it is much harder to sell the entirety of it.
9: Yeah.
6: Because it is, it is at the end of the day, very much a fable of a story, mm. and those types of stories tend to benefit from telling what he, looking at you and saying, this is what we're doing here.
11: The other thing as a Muppet story that they accomplish with Gonzo and Rizzo is that they also have characters who can be there to break the tension when things get too dark for Mm -hmm. kids, which they do throughout this movie a lot, especially with Rizzo who is constantly chiming in with uh, jokes or just saying inane things that Gonzo can react to. Uh, And it does go a long way towards making the darker elements of the story, which are abundant in A Christmas Carol, Mm. uh, a little bit more palatable to a younger audience. Yeah,
6: Without diminishing their power, I don't think, because they do step away for most of the most impactful moments. Mm. It's not... It would be so easy to have Gonzo and Rizzo constantly doing slapstick in the background, and they're constantly doing slapstick, but it's In its own little corner of the movie. They interrupt at the beginning and ends of scenes, and occasionally during transitions, but they're not getting involved with the action in a way that is Mm. distracting from the core of the narrative, which is... it, It really shows how good this team is at constructing not just a fun movie, but a solid adaptation of the piece that they know how to weigh this element in, in a way that is not detracting from anything.
9: Uh,
0: Another film that we talked about this year, uh, and uh, I I greatly criticized and probably will continue to do, uh, Thor Love and Thunder deals with some dark, sad, upsetting things, and never lets you feel them. That could so easily have been what they did here.
6: It is such a difficult tightrope to walk in tonal management and yeah the marvel movies especially the most recent lot have had a lot harder time Mm. doing that balancing act and some of the earlier ones are absolutely fantastic examples of that of that walk but one of the main things that having gonzo and rizzo there adds is that not only is the movie extremely quotable because it's the christmas carol an already extremely quotable thing but everything they add with those two characters is also quotable in its own right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I am here for the food, which was right. not in the original. <laughs> like the left, <laughs> not, like not the rat! Because ultimately, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Golds' as Gonzo is your, your Dickens, but uh, Steve Whitmire as Rizzo is superfluous. He doesn't need to be there at all. He's the uh, the, the, the dog in the storyteller. He's there to. He's the nag to Merlane. He's there to... Kind of puncture that bubble of seriousness time and time again. So when he shuts up, that's when they skillfully allow you to feel it.
1: But he's also there as kind of the voice of the audience. He's the mm. he's, he's a little kid, a little kid who doesn't understand any of this. He's the person having the story unfold in front of him and. Asking clarifying questions when things might potentially go over someone's head.
0: This also allows the two narrators to outline theme for the target audiences, which is little kids who maybe don't know quite about poverty and how hard a lot of people get it. Mm. So it kind of gently eases you into, oh, these people don't actually need to be poor. There are folks who have the means to stop them from suffering and dying.
1: Or vice versa, an audience who doesn't hasn't witnessed people who have plenty yeah. and that there is a difference in the in the states of how people live
0: one of the criticisms leveled at the original printing of the uh, Dickens Christmas Carol was actually at the binding. It said that uh, the, the 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 red and gold was too sumptuous, and that it it was exclusionary to make it so expensive that ultimately the the poor deserve to read this as well. I completely agree. The poor are effectively heroes in this, and it's not. It would be nice for them to go, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's possible that they were trying to prevent a revolution. But it's really significant that the rich of London needed to be given their version so that they could go, hmm, having read this, I think I might be a little more charitable. But also the poor needed to be given uh, a version they could afford without breaking the bank, which at the time was an old mattress stuffed with a groat. And... You know, ultimately, bootleggers were operating at the time. And so you'd probably uh, be able to get hold of A Christmas Carol when it was effectively just a bunch of uh, excerpts from the Pickwick papers bound with string sold to you for tuppence halfpenny on a street corner. So people were still after this thing. It sold out on the Christmas Eve that it was originally um, marketed. This is a story for everyone. But it's also a great equaliser in terms of it allows the people at the bottom to look up with a critical eye on the people at the top. Mm -hmm. With Charles in the middle going, yeah, I'm the middle class and I can sort of see both ends of this. Having grown up in uh, working in a uh, not particularly nice workhouse uh, as his father was taken to debtor's prison. We also sat through... um, uh, the Man Who Invented Christmas, which uh, takes some liberties with its Deconstructing Harry style approach to how Dickens uh, came up with all of these characters. He's like he sees an old person in a graveyard going bah, humbug and goes, aha, writes that. That's
6: <laughs> that kind of movie.
0: Yeah, it's that. <laughs> Mr. Scrooge as a song that we then get to hear. Endears tiny children to Scrooge. It allows them to find where to put Scrooge. Because if you, if Michael Caine just came on screen and was as scary as he was without a sing-song, imagine how many kids would be like, ha, 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 "Can you bring back the rat?" <laughs> I, I may have wet myself, Mom. And uh, the 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 song itself allows the book and thus the the Greek chorus of the Muppets to kind of make fun of Scrooge. But it's a jolly song, and it allows you to sort of understand that he is kind of a pitiable character, but then when they get to the nah moment, it's like, we shouldn't be pitying him. Put that, put a pin in that for later, but nah.
1: It also yes. uh, reframes Scrooge's position in society because in the original story, I believe he's a moneylender. Mm. Um, here, he's a landlord. He owns properties that people rent and uh, they, they include the line about uh, he charges folk a fortune for his dark and drafty houses, which parallels him with Mr. Potter from. From It's a Wonderful Life, which yeah. is already a known Christmas villain. Yeah. So it, it gives a, a little bit of.
0: Which was a story inspired relevance. by a Christmas carol yeah. by its original writer.
1: Hey, everything's a circle. Mm. This is where he sits in the world, and this is why that is a bad thing mm. at this particular juncture.
6: I think that change from moneylender to uh, kind of nebulous landlord is a really common change to make to Scrooge because it's just a significantly more relatable rich guy for a mm-hmm. modern audience lots of people are renters we're renters and us too and it it does feel a little bit more like I'm not going to get a loan from anybody but I do have to live somebody somewhere and I know there's somebody to be profiting off of that
4: when a cold wind blows it chills you chills you to the bone
1: But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years
3: of
4: being alone It paints you with indifference, like a lady paints with rouge And the worst of the worst, the most
2: hated and cursed
4: Is the one that we call Scrooge
2: Unkind as any, and the wrath of many, this is Ebenezer Scrooge Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm If
3: they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him Old Scrooge, he loves his money, cause he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour.
4: Yeah. Even the vegetables don't like him. There
9: Mr. Skinflips, there Mr. Greed. The
3: undisputed master of the underhanded deed. He charges
2: folks a fortune for his dark and drafty houses. as poor folk live in misery. (laughs) It's even worse for mouses. Hey, sir, I want some cheese. He must be so lonely. He must be so sad.
9: He goes to extremes to convince us he's bad.
2: He's really
9: a victim of fear and of pride. Look close and
8: there must be a sweet man inside.
2: Nah. (laughs)
4: There goes Mr. Outrage, there goes Mr. Sneer.
2: He has no time for friends or fun, his makes that clear.
4: Don't ask him for a favor, cause his nastiness increases. No crust of bread for those in need, no cheeses for us mises. Scrooge liked the cold He was hard and sharp
3: as a flint Secret and self-contained As solitary as an oyster There goes Mr.
9: Heartless There goes Mr. Cruel.
3: He never gives He only takes takes. He He lets his hunger rule If being means a way of
2: life
9: You practice and rehearse
4: Then all that work is being off Cause Scrooge is getting worse
8: Every
9: day
6: I also just want to take a moment here to just really compliment in general the song work. I'm sure we'll get to details in all of them. Oh, go
0: for it um, now. Yeah, I've got Paul Williams on the music. key of Bugsy Malone, Phantom of the Paradise and the original Muppet movies.
6: Yes, Paul Williams, whose work is equally divided in... Muppets type work he did lots of work for uh as mentioned the original Muppets movie he's the guy who did the Rainbow Connection Mm. and also did some work on Sesame Street along the years but he was also something of a popular figure in music in the 1970s he has a cameo in the original Muppets movie if anybody wants to see what this man is he is like a five foot nothing blonde guy with like bottle eyeglasses he's such a unique person, and it's always great to hear his music in Coming Out of Muppets, because they just do such a wonderful job of matching the tone. Uh, And specifically, I like the way that he's utilizing lyrics in these songs to pull from the original text, but not just directly quote it. It's very much a continuation of How Gonzo works in the story is that they're able to have these Muppet Greek choruses use some of, if not the direct lines from the book, a lot of very similar content to frame the story very effectively in the way that it
0: was originally told. To you describing that, now I'm thinking Bugsy Malone would have been vastly improved with an entirely Muppet cast. I can <laughs> in, I can picture Rolf at the end going. We could have been anything that we wanted to be, playing on his <laughs> piano.
1: <laughs> we'll
0: do that in an after-school my name club.
1: My is Miss Piggy. Oh my God! <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> hey, get on this. You probably own it.
11: I don't know who owns it, but probably Disney statistically. The Muppets Godfather.
0: <laughs> oh Lord, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? There is absolutely room for us to do a speculative. This would we'll be good with the Muppets. <laughs> at some point, we'll get you on for that. Oh yeah. Okay. So Michael Caine as Scrooge, playing it impeccably straight. I I, I started getting misty eyed in this just watching him. Like he looks old as hell here, and this was thirty years ago. And I'm just thinking, this is the eleventh hour. We don't have much time with Michael Caine left. I want to make this like a little mini celebration of of what. An amazing series of performances he's given us in crap movies, in great movies, in movies where it's like, "You bloody cow!" Just every like all of this personality he brought to every role, even if like it seemed like he was just doing it for the you know the money to buy a new shed. He he just kind of like manages to be a a, a very memorable on screen presence at all times.
11: He is really fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Uh, in in Brian Henson's commentary, uh, he says that when they were discussing the role, Michael Caine said he wanted to play it like the Royal Shakespeare Company and mm. not acknowledge that these were puppets at all. And that's a fantastic character choice because the drama of the story only works if Scrooge is able to maintain that sense of, Hardness and cruelty Towards the other characters Which is very hard to do when you're Playing off of these Muppets
10: Yeah. Um,
11: But yeah he's fantastic In this
6: And the moments where he gets the closest To being Muppety Are the moments in the story When the character is meant to be Lightening up and connecting to the world More and the contrast Between those is so much more Effective when your Baseline is Mm -hmm genuinely talented dramatic actor Michael Caine and playing it as he would on stage with human actors. Mm.
1: There's also a dividing line between human and Muppet. They're, while there are good humans and there are bad Muppets, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the Muppets that are, like, the worst behaved are the ones that look the most human. The mm. uh, the f- pigs at the funeral.
0: Yeah. If lunch you know, was bit, provided.
1: A little bit Animal Farm there, and they looked from the humans to the pigs and couldn't tell the difference. Nice. But the, um, the the sense that the the harshness and the cruelty that's being perpetuated in this world, although it is always sort of bubbling away under the surface and not being brought out into full light, because at the end of the day, this is a kids' movie, it does have that sort of this is this is human hands that makes this. Muppets would not create a world where people were this mean no. to each
0: other. Uh, again, they're too anarchic. Absolutely. They, 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 and the, they have too much love of craziness and they don't fall in for capitalism. No. and
1: the youngest of children watching this would be most familiar with the Muppets from Sesame Street, whose mm. remit is... Mr. Rogers level, yeah. it's, it's all about kindness and supporting each other. So that to have that be um, uh, a Muppet thing would be very alien to them, to have Muppets being mean. And so having the humans and the human-like puppets there that you're not that familiar with to, to give that sense mm. maintains that theme.
0: Time for another song. It's not widely known, but Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker as the two charitable gentlemen did have a song to sing to Scrooge. It's on the soundtrack. And they pretty much spell out the thesis of the movie.
3: Anybody can change Scrooge, and so can you When you're ready to start There's room in your heart for love, 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 love Anybody can grow Scrooge, and you can too When you're doing your part there's room in your heart for love. If you want to live, give freely, and you will find. that what you get in trade, my friend, is peace of mind. If you're ready to walk in the sunshine, then open up your heart. Well, open up your pocketbook. It's the perfect place to start. bigger. What you're missing is fun, Scrooge, it's crude and sad but true. Walk away from this gloom. there's room in your heart for love, 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 love. Exactly, Beaker! When you're doing your best, you're suddenly blessed with love. If you want to live, give yep, freely, and you will find that what you get in trade, my friend, is peace of mind. If you're ready to walk, Open up your heart, open up your pocketbook, it's the perfect place to start. Start dancing, Beaker! Anybody can change, Scrooge, and so can you. When you're ready to start, there's room in your heart for love, love, love. When you're ready to start, there's room in your heart for When you're ready to start, there's room in your
9: heart for love.
11: The only major recognizable Muppets that feature as ghosts in the story are uh, Statler and Waldorf as Mm. the Marley brothers, who are generally known as being the mean ones. They're the ones that sit in the back and heckle Mm -hmm. everybody all the time. Uh, And they are the only ones that get to be in this position of like, we are mean, cruel. They're acting too much like humans.
1: But they're also acknowledging that that's bad. They are mm-hmm. they are there to say we shouldn't have behaved like this yeah. in life.
0: I, I love that scene because it's like,
1: We were wrong, you asshole <laughs> The other thing I love about
6: uh Statler and Waldorf as Jacob and Robert Marley nice. are is that it does also still set up a contrast between their type of cruelty and Scrooges, hmm. where they are—they ju- just loved it. They super enjoyed being terrible people. They, they are laughing about the memories of seeing orphans on the streets with With teddy their little bears.
0: frostbitten teddy bears!
6: <laughs> <laughs> but yes...
0: But I love the and fact that they go oh, oh, oh. <sighs> there's that little <laughs> moment like the song doesn't stop but it's just like and now we're in like the worst kind of limbo hell yeah
6: even though we enjoyed being terrible there are still consequences for it and you aren't even having a good time being a terrible person hmm. Scrooge
0: so, You're uh, a okay
6: gig.
0: Sharon came up with something while uh, it was in response to one of the um uh <laughs> And I mentioned this when we heard his narration. That Disney guy in the 90s who talks like this and did the narration for every little Disney interstitial, whatever his name is, he made a mint off of Disney in the 90s. Uh, But uh, he said, Ebenezer Scrooge, the greediest man alive. And I went, point of order. Scrooge is not greedy, not the way you are saying, not the way you think. Like, Scrooge McDuck in Mickey's Christmas Carol is shown pulling money towards himself and going, oh, I love money so much. That is an oversimplification of what Scrooge is. What did you say Scrooge was? Because it just made me go, jeez.
1: Okay, so Scrooge, he's very, he is grasping.
0: Absolutely. That
1: is absolutely a term that I would apply, but... What I what I called him is financially anorexic. So what Scrooge does with money is he hoards it and will not spend it even on himself. This is not about greed in the gluttony sense that he wants to overindulge, and that's why he wants to. Scrooge
0: liked money. darkness. Darkness was cheap.
1: Exactly. He is—it's—it's it's greed in the sense of avarice. He hoards money for its own sake. But what underpins that in him? And it actually, what made me think of it is—is is the love is gone. Is the what is what? Oh, it's almost saying. like that song's really important. Indeed, it's mm-hmm. in what he's saying to Bell. The, the whole thing about we don't have enough money, the firm's not doing very well, I know I've made partner and I said that was the point, but now I need more. He is terrified of being poor. He is terrified of the world taking his money away and therefore he starves. And he responds to that by controlling his own starvation and by never spending any of that money on even his own comforts. It's making it so that he will he will endure that on his own terms rather than having the world force them on him.
0: Oh, my God. Hang on. Yes. Can I just interject before you guys carry on this one? I, I'm, I'm going to try not to talk about The Christmas Thieves too much, but I adapted this story. What plagued this man was not tight-fistedness, though this Duart was mean with money. That was not the vice which gripped his heart. No, Ambrosius Baltus was angry, and he did not spare redirecting that anger unto others. We have been watching him for two days now, following him about often
12: assisted by magical invisibility spells as we conduct our espionage and gather information on this doleful, wrathful old sinner.
0: Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster, He has, of course, much in common with Ebenezer Scrooge, from my favorite work of one of your human authors, Charles Dickens. It was while we stealthily stalked this captain that a plot began to hatch in my mind, given form by that most splendid of Christmas stories. He means he nicked the concept wholesale. Not so, you cynical bastard. I have examined this Duarte's life and found the similarities, laying them over the framework of this tale in the hope that we might do some good this season and sow the seeds of a verdant spring to come. And luckily for us, we have found one particularly juicy piece of information that might just allow this noble, far-fetched plan to come to fruition. For you see... Captain Baltus doesn't like to read. Baltus's problem was that he was angry. And if you combine that with the film I hadn't even seen yet and the information I didn't even have... Dickens' shame over his own father going to debtor's prison Baltus very rarely talks about his own father but he always tries to project strength the way his version of Jacob Marley um, uh, Jacobite Marlowe, was always like the, the, the picture of, of, of Duarte strength this almost teutonic kind of you know never ever show emotions and always be like the only acceptable emotion is anger it's 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 not subtle in what it's effectively saying about masculinity but he's angry at his father for what he perceives as weakness and it's very clear that his father was someone who was not like uh baltus so there's this kind of The unspoken aspect of Scrooge's father we never get to hear about. Somebody on the Discord, I think it was Chris, said, I would really like to see an expanded version of A Christmas Carol where we actually flesh out these characters and find out about them by someone who really knows the text and can extrapolate, well, Scrooge's father would probably have been like this. Well, Scrooge's extended relationship with Belle would have degraded like this. Realising stuff on the spot about the whole paternal resentment side of this.
6: Yes, there's definitely a sense that a large part of what drives Scrooge is was instilled in him in his past at a very young age by his distance from his own family need to be independent because nobody else is watching out for him. He's sent off to boarding school at a young age, and it's not present in this movie, but... He has a very difficult relationship with his family. Oh, yeah, actually, a
0: little fan pointed out Father was not, like, stomping around the house smashing in walls (laughs) in the uh, Zemeckis version. (laughs) Father didn't beat me at all the other day.
6: (laughs) Yeah, that's essentially what we're dealing with here. And uh, there's actually a very interesting... I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with Cinema Therapy. It's a very solid YouTube channel where a therapist and his friend discuss... uh, Various films.
13: Dr. Alan A. Caviola wrote a Psychology Today article called Scrooge the Quintessential Controlling Perfectionist, in which he diagnosed Scrooge with Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder. And I agree with his diagnosis. So a lot of people conflate Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder, or OCPD, with Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD. I admit I do not know the difference. The difference is that OCD is I have compulsions. And they will not leave me alone until I do the thing, right? It's like Mm -hmm. an itch that you have to scratch. And then when you scratch it, it goes away. It goes away. Yeah. Whereas OCPD, it's a personality disorder, so it's focused on order, on neatness, on perfectionism. Scrooge being a miser, Mm -hmm. which I... that's not a word we use a lot anymore, which is a shame. It is a shame. It's such a great word. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It it means being thrifty to the point of being cruel and callous being unwilling to share, unwilling to help, and unwilling to spend money on just, like, basic necessities. It's in Dickens' novel, a line that's also in the movie, Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Right? That he wouldn't light a candle, Uh (laughs) because he'd rather not spend the money. Right. And, and so that's a big part. So let me, let's break down a little bit of what OCPD is. Uh, and how it relates to Scrooge. So he's preoccupied with details, rules, lists, order, organization or schedules, to the extent that the major point of the activity is lost. Oh, okay. Yep. And so his, his fixation on when people are there for work and what schedule has to be kept and how it has to be done. I mean, even to the point where he's wanting to work them on Christmas, because that's how things are done.
7: Excuse me, Mr. Scrooge, but it appears to be closing time.
5: (laughs) Very well. I'll see you at eight tomorrow morning.
13: Two, shows perfectionism that interferes with task completion. Mm -hmm. Now, this is hard to see with him at first, because it seems like, no, he runs a really tight ship and things are run really efficiently. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, he's shooting himself in the foot business-wise. By working his staff the way he does, he's going to burn them out, which is bad for business. Right. And by being so cruel and miserly with his clientele, yeah, soon nobody's going to come get a loan from him, right? Yes. Yeah. because he's going to crush them if he possibly can. Yeah, yeah, and so so he's actually he's thinking it's good business, but it's actually very bad business,
0: right? I actually suffer from a little bit of this myself. The only way Sharon and I have been able to stay afloat on in our financial scenario since Uh, ah, 2011, has been to be very frugal. And the other night, uh, I I met Sharon on the way home. I was coming out of uh, seeing Violent Night. Our kid was going to see a play, A Christmas Carol. And Sharon was like, uh, she'd had a horrible day, and she was like, I'm just going to get some food to give the kid quickly so that we can get home. Here, have some sushi. And I sort of watched Sharon shop very quickly in the little mini Tescos, and then the bill came to seven pounds including two pounds for some cinnamon buns for me. But I then spent most of the time as we walked home in the cold, badgering her about the waste of money she'd just uh, made there when we could just have whipped up an omelette for the kid really, really quickly before she, uh, they went. It's I have a very similar kind of, if I don't have to spend it, can I get around it in some other way? Obviously, I am not financially anorexic anywhere near as much as Scrooge is, but I can understand from a certain perspective, if you've lived hand to mouth for a long time and just had to be worried about the margins. Again, I think I mentioned this before, that we realized we were completely fucked when we couldn't afford a lettuce. Because there wasn't enough money in our bank account to cover the price of a lettuce on the way home. Um, it... it, it prickles at you in unexpected sudden ways when you're having to go through financial transactions. And there's a bit in the Zemeckis version. Again, I'm trying not to mention it or compare it, but again, it's a a really good version, even if it is fugly nowadays. At the very, very beginning where Scrooge, I think it's a created sequence that's not in the book. I I know it is because I've adapted the damn thing. It's not in the book where Scrooge is having to pay for Jacob Marley's funeral and the uh, undertaker holds out his hand for absolutely just payment for this particular service and there's a long silence and a creaking wood as Scrooge is like, oh shit! And the the sort of the the camera goes into deep focus as though like you're about to have a panic attack. And Scrooge is looking at this horrible, ugly man asking for money from him, and it's like, dude, he's asking for payment for a service. And Scrooge goes into his purse with twitching fingers and fishes out payment for it, and then steals the pennies off the eyes of uh, Marley just to illustrate that tuppence is tuppence, but. That fear of spending anything also goes hand in hand with paranoia about everyone around him. The whole point about Scrooge being like pushing the world away is not from anger in the classic adaptation. It's actually like anger is simply his response. It's motivated by fear because the people... Mean he's got to spend money, and in his head, I don't have the money to spend. You've got plenty of money. I don't have the money to spend. As you said, Sharon, to bring us all the way back to the the, the definition, anorexia isn't really about food.
1: It's 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 not about not eating because you don't have food available, but it it incorporates an awful lot of trying to control things, which is what Scrooge is trying to do. And I, um, one of the, the phrases that I've always hated is, why would you leave money on the table? Because to me, and, and although I've been through a lot of the, the similar financial Things with you, yeah. I, I was right there, um, and well,
0: that's the thing. Like you had, you, you were like, "I've got to. have decided to get the kid uh, pack lunch, and we're going to no, use no, no, the old but, meal deal. I, I've decided to do this." But, so even though Alex is saying, "Hang on a second, I've just seen a way around this. I've got a plan. I'm going to stick to it." Yeah, it's, it's stupid, it's, but I'm going to stick it,
1: to it. It manifests itself in different ways. But what I was going to say was, to me, money is it's a means to an end, mm. and. Uh, why would you leave money on the table why would you take money off the table if you don't need it and
6: I think that is partially the division that Scrooge experiences in this narrative is starting the story off in the viewpoint of money as a means in on itself and ending it as just seeing it as part of how to connect to the world as opposed to the focus of Life,
0: yeah. because it, it could have been uh, easy for Scrooge to go right. I will stay in my solitude, but I will send out quiet, anonymous, charitable donations. It was never really about the money; it was about how he lived.
1: Yeah, and and when when will he have enough? What will be enough? And at this stage, what's it for? He doesn't have anybody to spend it on, mm.
0: which is it's an obsession, absolutely built upon a series of complexes he, that have gone undiagnosed. Because let's face it, folks. This thing was made, this is psychology, in 1843, 29 years before the father of psychology, Wilhelm Wundt, wrote The Principles of Psychology in 1874. It was written 43 years before Sigmund Freud set up his practice in Vienna in 1886. This is, like, especially, like, if you watch the various adaptations that, by their nature... The director and the writers have to explore an angle on Scrooge. It is explorative of his broken psyche and how he slowly mends it. One of the reasons you like the Zemeckis version is is that Jim Carrey plays all the spirits as well. So it's that they're aspects of him that terrify or bewilder him.
6: In this version, the Muppet version, all of the ghosts are just... Mm. Extremely impressive, uniquely designed puppets for this particular production.
0: Mm. They were going to be originally like Fozzie and um, Piggy and Kermit, or I think uh, Gonzo
1: was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come.
0: Yeah, which is stupid because his nose would have stuck out and you wouldn't be able to stop laughing. That was the
1: idea. <laughs> they were going to have the nose sticking out of the hood. But
0: no, that that's <laughs> why it's notable that while they're fun and they're there, they are they don't. Abandon us, but they say, okay, this is the serious bit. We're going to meet... Like, this is too scary, folks. Like, you need to pay attention. We are not going to be laughing this bit up.
1: Yeah, to diffuse the tension. Yeah. One other element, by the way, of... Just to bring it back to the visual of the distinction between Scrooge being human and the other characters around him being Muppets. And it's... it's shown, <laughs> <laughs> It's shown very particularly uh, with the rats who are the bookkeepers in his business and that is to do with the the respective height he elevates himself mm. above everybody around him and you pointed out with this uh, the the hostile design of the workplace he has this desk that blocks him off from everybody he's a got a
0: little got narrow door doorway that's black that people and can't dark can't come
1: through unless he's okay with it and and this it's whole... it's a
0: bottleneck to stop the world getting in
1: yeah absolutely and this whole if anybody wants anything from him they have to come and sit at his feet mm. and Ask him for extra coal for the fire. He's got
0: this tall, gaunt desk. Yeah. Oh, it's you you pointed out. about
1: power?
0: At the end, the uh, all the rats need is coal so that they can live. And in the end, uh, when he's good, Scrooge, he gives them all little coal scuttles of coal. And it's like, wow, this Santa got you coal, and that's a cause for celebration. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He gives you coal when he's being nice.
6: That <laughs> <laughs> did confuse children in the like test screenings for this movie. It's like, why is he giving them coal? Because, you know, our
0: assets are frozen. Like they made it really clear.
6: <laughs> I would. I wonder whether or not they maybe ad, added a little bit of that just to help clarify.
0: Because... it's it's the only time that Scrooge really shouts. By the way, it's 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 like you've just had the song that teases him. So it's almost like you can put Scrooge in this place where he's not, you know, he's just silly and like, why is he like that? But then when he shouts, it makes the kids jump and go, whoa, I'm not sure what to do with you, Scrooge. You're actually quite dangerous. But then they they neatly make it fun so that the kids don't start crying with the heatwave gag. <laughs>
6: that is another benefit I was going to mention of having the Muppets there and having Michael Caine playing it as straight as he does is mm. it gives Michael Caine the ability to be a little bit more vicious and violent than you'd expect from Scrooge mm. because the victims of his violence are soft little fluffy things that oh, yeah. are not actually hurt by his actions. He can rip a a wreath off of the wall and throw it at a rabbit's head and the rabbit is fine. If he'd have done that to a child, it would have really had a different impact.
0: Or indeed a real rabbit. Imagine just a rabbit sitting <laughs> in the street he just throws a wreath at him. Kids are like, why would he do that?
6: Yeah.
1: Instead, it's Bean Bunny, who's <laughs> charming to the point of being obnoxious, mm. so it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, the the innocence of the animal Muppets particularly means that they don't, they don't carry the complexity of humans. Being mean to humans is—it's it's, for children. It often seems like they don't respond as much, but I think part of that is because it's too overwhelming. Yeah,
0: they don't know what the adults have got at home because yeah. to them they're just moms and dads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, the Muppets are effectively the children's audience surrogates. Like, they are the ones who cause anarchy and and mess around and, uh, you know, when left to their own devices will actually, hopefully, be nice to each other. I don't know. Let's hope. But uh, as long as they're taught in the right way, which is really what this – like, this film is consistently reminding the kids – uh, that you know things are better when you're kind to each other
1: kids can't emulate kindness if they don't see it at all yeah. they only need a little bit to know it's there but if they don't see it at all, how are they ever supposed to replicate it?
0: I remember um, one of my friends from a long, long time ago. I was watching her with her, her kid who was this little uh, monster. But uh, like he was playing with his cousin and like he, he like took her toy off her and just kind of whacked, belted her around the side of the head with this thing. She wasn't badly hurt, but the embarrassment and uh, shock of it and the idea that someone would hurt you on purpose or wouldn't care just made the kid start crying. And I I watched my friend and she said, whoa, 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 come here, come here. Look, you made Caitlin cry. Uh, But, you know, it's okay. What are you going to do? And uh, this little kid sort of went over very meekly, gave her back the toy and just sort of patted her on the uh, the shoulder. And the kid stopped crying because she experienced some warmth, some apology and a sense of humanity. And I thought, that's a great mum. I am totally using that. I never had to because Willow ended up not cruel at all, or thoughtless in that way at all, but I always had it in reserve, just in case.
6: Well, they're still not a teenager Yeah, you'll get there.
0: Oh, they've been 14 for a while.
9: Oh, no, well, 14 <laughs> no, for years.
0: Still incredibly <laughs> compassionate and considerate. They cry whenever they see cruelty, especially to animals. Oh. There's
7: magic in the air. This evening magic in the air, the world is at her best, you know, when people love and care. The promise of excitement is one the night will keep, after all there's only one more sleep till Christmas. A glow. There's no such thing as strangers when a stranger says hello. And everyone is family, we're having so much fun. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. Tis the season to be jolly and joyous. With a burst of pleasure we feel it arise. It's a season when the saints can employ us to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive in the wind today that's good for everyone yes faith is in our hearts today we're shining like the sun and everyone can feel it the feeling's running deep after all there's only one more sleep till Christmas after all there's only one more sleep till Christmas day
0: having Kermit as Cratchit here is inspired. There's only one role in this that's more inspired in terms of, I'm so glad this book was made and this character was in it and had that name. I think you can probably guess who it was because it feels then like it was meant to be. It's meant to be, Lorraine! That Charles would, would write this book and that one day the Muppets would perform it.
6: It is a perfect shoe in for the Muppets in a way that that few other stories they've adapted are the whole movie is essentially teaching you that kindness is more important than money money that love and being with one another and caring for each other is what makes life beautiful and that is essentially a mission that the Muppet company has had since the beginning it's why Sesame Street exists and is has lasted so long is that they looked at the world and they said well there are kids with low incomes who don't get the good education that they need from their parents because they're so busy working to make sure that their kids survive let's make something for them that teaches them all of these lessons that they should be learning and a christmas carol is just a continuation of that mission in a way that just blends together fabulously i mean they make a joke of it at the start and it's okay that this is all kind of scary for kids it's literature
0: it's culture Mm. I do like how they say at the very end, you know, if you like this, you should read the book. It's almost like the children's television workshop. Let's make sure that there's some education in here as well, rather than just this was good, but don't make it your only visit to this particular story. Go back to the source. That's a responsible way to end this, which a lot of those critics didn't notice.
11: It's also important to go back to the fact that this is the first uh, feature length Muppet project since uh, after Jim Henson died, because... It's essentially making this a statement of what the Muppets are, even without their founder, that they have, you know, kind of staked this as uh, a mission statement for the Muppets going forward.
6: They're still here, and they're still great, and they'll tell you Charles Dickens stories now. Yeah. It is also an early version of, of the... Literature adaptations that uh, They end up doing a little bit More from this point onward mm. Partially I think because of the lost Creative lead of Jim Henson but It's I think Probably The best of those
0: Oh definitely and yeah if you compare it to Treasure Island There's nothing that's going to get to you In the heart area in Treasure Island in Robert Lewis Stevenson's book Treasure Island like this will
6: No, The Honestly, if you want some version of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island that does pull at your heartstrings, watch like the first two thirds of the Disney Treasure Planet and then stop when that robot shows up. And get most of the
10: bit that <laughs> I mean,
0: like has. the bit at the end with Silver's really key to that. With Brian yeah, Doyle Murray, he's lovely. Just
6: skip the climax and then go, <laughs> go to
0: the very. End. As soon as Ben turns up, yes, just fast forward until yeah. you get to the end. Now, the rest of it's all just uh, previs stuff, but yeah. Absolutely! Oh, directed by the Aladdin guys. Yep. How interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? we heard the Muppets are doing Treasure Island. We're going to do that ourselves. It's going to be so much better. I don't know. Actually, I do think is Treasure plan is actually better because.
6: it for decades, they just got the go-ahead after making Disney put yeah. loads of money for everything else.
0: <laughs> it's uh, so weird that they wanted to do that for so long, and then when they got there, they were like, "So, what do we do? What, what for the middle bit?" <laughs>
6: I mean, is it that strange? I feel like a lot of artists have passion projects that they dream about doing for years and then when they actually get there it turns kind of a mess.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, Fred. A
5: Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge. God save you. Merry Christmas. Bah. Humbug.
2: Christmas or uh, humbug, Uncle? Oh, you don't mean that, surely?
5: Actually, I think it's
4: colder in here. Yeah.
5: Merry Christmas, you say? What right of you to be
4: merry? You're poor enough. What right of you to be dismal? You're rich enough. He's got him there. The old boy, speechless.
5: If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be cooked with his own turkey mm. and buried with a steak of holly through his heart. Oh. Well, not quite speechless.
2: Oh, I'm cool.
5: Nephew, you keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine.
10: Christmas is a loving, honest and charitable time. And though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that Christmas has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it.
9: And
10: how does one celebrate Christmas on the
5: unemployment
6: line? Every time he shows up on screen, I get a big smile because there's just something very warm and pleasant about the actor that even when he's making fun of his uncle in the uh, Christmas present section, you don't hate the guy, you get why he's just tired of being this guy's nephew, but he's still trying, he's still going in there, knowing the end result's not gonna be any good, but using his his wit and his
11: charm and his sense of humor to kind of get through these conversations. You definitely get the sense that this is its own kind of christmas tradition for fred that every year he goes he, he asks and, scrooge and says no scrooge to come and scrooge always says no uh, yeah. which is why his reaction when scrooge shows up at the end is incredible because he's so shocked that he's there he's like absolutely speechless uh, mm. yeah that performance is very good
0: yeah. I mean, in the, uh, in the book, it's very much that Scrooge kind of sends food and tender victuals in the direction of the Cratchits, but sort of keeps out of that house and goes to the house he's actually been invited to in the Zemeckis one. It's very much, may I please come in? I know you're about to say how much of a fucking rat I am, but... <laughs> um, well,
1: the idea of turning up uninvited at somebody's house in the Victorian era
0: they sort of square that circle in this because we care about the Cratchit household so Scrooge turns up there I know I'm jumping ahead here but he also brings in everyone who was at Fred's house anyway so it's kind of like he brings everyone together for this big sing along and there are people coming in off the street
1: we don't know any of Fred's friends we don't <laughs> care to. <laughs> but also we want to
0: see we want to see tiny Timmy uh, like looking at a giant turkey and actually think this kid's gonna have a you know be okay on this side note by the way, while I was researching for this, some of the books, the front covers are like Scrooge, like with a ghost approaching him, and he's got a candle, and he's like, and it's like, that's perfect. That, that is a great uh, that 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 picture tells you what this story is. It's a miserable, scary but scared old man and a Christmas ghost. Some of them had a merry Scrooge stomping along the pavement at the end with Tiny Tim on his shoulders, and it's like, dude, spoiler warning. <laughs> Way to bury the lead.
6: Christmas stories that has been told so many times you Mm. can kind of skip to the end. Yeah. But you really shouldn't. You should enjoy every step on the road because it's beautifully constructed.
0: Mm. I just used the term bury the lead, which actually means fail to emphasise the most important part of the story or account. If anything, those books only show you the lead but they remove all tension that the lead will be dug up and to that end that might actually have contributed towards it's a wonderful life's perception from people who haven't sat down with it as just a cheesy pie cutesy wootsy celebration of christmas because every front cover is that family hugging each other the front cover should be jimmy stewart disgruntled kicking a car door shut or freaking out in front of a spinster probably wouldn't have been too popular one question that was I asked on the Discord was, there, was there any bit of the original text that you wish had been left in and, and actually serves a general purpose that the Muppets could have made use of? And I'm not sure they could have in this because it's actually too painful for little kids to really even understand. But uh, I think uh, somebody pointed out Little Fan, the one we mentioned before, who was like, Oh father didn't beat me at all. Uh, she turns up in the Ghost of Christmas Past sequence and... Uh, Scrooge looks very fondly on his sister who died, uh, you know, a woman, but, uh, wasn't around for, uh, his nephew Fred's life. And it just, it makes it really quite clear with that, that little sequence that one of the reasons that Scrooge kind of turned around that time was because he really cared about, um, his sister And just looking at Fred, who clearly reminds him of her, is painful. In fact, I'm not sure whether this is canon or not, because there's so many adaptations and I haven't read the book for a hot minute. But the new 2022 Christmas Carol on Netflix, the one with the hot Scrooge that TikTokers want to bone, played by Luke Evans, the Scrooge who keeps bursting into song. It's way lighter than this. It never gets heavy. But it does tell you that Fan died on Christmas Day
6: the excising of fan is always something that i have trouble with in in adaptations and it happens more often than you'd think considering how emotionally fundamental she is to scrooge's arc but also the fact that fred is around and mm. not explaining where he came from and what relationship why their relationship is so yeah. interdependent despite scrooge being somebody who would never interact with his nephew if he had the option It always puzzles me when they make that decision. I I agree that it wouldn't probably fit super well in the Muppet version.
0: I don't know. I feel like because Gonzo and Rizzo spell it out... You could block it in terms of, uh, like, Fan turns up at the, uh, maybe at the party with Fezziwig, like, because then it's, you know, a joyful time, rather than, and you could then have a slightly older actress and have uh, Rizzo go, hey, she kind of looks like her son Fred, then why is Scrooge so sad whenever he talks to Fred? And then Gonzo just kind of looks at Rizzo and looks at, at Fan, and sort of then we go to Michael Kane as Scrooge, who may say something that kind of, spells it out for the little kids and some of the adults in the audience just to kind of make them go, oh, that's why he rejects Fred over and over again.
1: I can hazard a guess why she's not in it. Katzenberg? I might be wrong. I would stake...
0: No, seriously, money. not because her name's Fanny, no, which no, means no. "but" in no, no, America. No, 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 no. And worse in England.
1: But I could see him or going, better. well, you don't need two women. You've got Belle. Well, you don't, but you don't have Belle. How bell. am I supposed to tell the difference between bell and Fan? You keep girls.
0: bell in They're your own the way. They're about
1: the same age. They've both got, I don't know, blonde hair or something.
0: I am convinced that Jeffrey Katzenberg watched this and went, oh, this is about me, right? This is about me. No, this is a Dickens book. <laughs> <laughs>
6: And we're going to get into the Jeff Katzenberg hate, I can mm-hmm. definitely get on that train. That We're starting to get into the point where we're talking about Love is Gone, which is skipping ahead a little bit in the narrative. But It's
0: okay, we can mix it up.
6: We'll mix it up. Love is Gone is a song that was filmed, entirely produced, and intended to be in the release of the movie. And we know this yeah. because
0: that was on the print that they found.
6: It was on the print that they found. That it is... The breakup number between Belle and young Scrooge. When you cut that out, Belle is introduced. They cut forward, they have a like two minute conversation, and then
0: she Oh, you goes, wish it was two minutes. It's two <laughs> lines. It's
6: like two lines, yeah. It's yeah. Like a, it's like a minute of conversation. The
1: song is two minutes.
6: <laughs> yeah, the song isn't that long. When you actually look at what they cut, it's it's less it's like three minutes tops. Mm. Of, of the film that is missing But it is a central Tenet of not just The Christmas past It is the emotional whammy at the end of Christmas past It is the thing that you need To see Scrooge feel bad about mm. It is also Musically extraordinarily Important because it is The song that they reprise at the Very
4: end of the movie Twice <laughs>
11: yeah those those songs comprise the entirety of scrooge's arc in the story he laments losing this connection to someone in his past and then he sings a version of her song when he finds human connection in the present Mm. at the end of the story and when you take that song out, it just leaves this gaping emotional hole in
0: the movie. Mm. It's amazing yeah. it's become that much of a classic.
1: There's, right, there's there's two things about this song that I think are really, really key, and you lose entirely without it. And for the record, by the way, I firmly believe that every Christmas, Robert Ashman turns up at Katzenberg's house and kicks him in the back of the chair while he's trying to eat his freaking turkey. It's just,
0: you wear such a chain
1: yourself! <laughs> oh, this is not me, is it? Um,
0: <laughs> You're
1: one of, the, one of the things that I really, really love about this song is that it has a very grown-up nature to it. This isn't a, um, a, an overly melodramatic, Belle is dying or something like that. It's it's a woman recognising that this relationship cannot be what she wants it to be and choosing to walk away. That is really mature.
0: Which is why they got the wonderful Robin Wright to perform that sequence. And there's a Mechis verse. Look, okay, so we're going to mention it every (laughs) time. Fuck it. But
1: it it does make that more heartbreaking, not less, because she ultimately, by leaving him, was able to follow her dream after a fashion. One assumes that she was able to then look for Mm. the kind of relationship she did want. But Scrooge... As somebody who at some point in his life we can see was capable of love and had it, let money intrude, let the chasing of position intrude on that and he was not able to follow that. And he's then spent his whole life not being able to get that back. And it makes us so very, very acutely aware of the absence in his life and the loss that he's experienced.
6: Which is why a lot of the... like. Versions of the Christmas Carol I've seen performed by the community theater mm. I grew up in,
0: which oh, bring Bell back
6: since I was five, reintroduce Bell towards the end of the show. And oh, isn't that swell, Scrooge? You know, try to make amends in some way. Just because it is the kind of emotional satisfaction people want. Yeah. I I I think I saw a
0: emotional. Nicolas Cage animated version in the early two thousands that did that. It had a song with a bell and she got like Nicolas Cage as Scrooge. That should be way better than it was. It was horrible. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, haven't seen that one. Not gonna seek it out. Don't.
0: <laughs> I think it was the same studio in very heavy inverted commas that did the musical animated version of Titanic. Oh boy!
6: Here, oh, not the worst musical animated film I've seen, but it's on there.
9: Mm-hmm.
6: That credit has to go to The King and I, which is somehow more racist in an animated short version for children than the original. It's <laughs> baffling. Cool. Um, Oh, I was going to just compliment the actress who portrays Belle in this movie, and I just feel so bad for her because her entire piece got cut from this movie, and for 30 years, nobody got to, almost nobody got to see her.
0: Well, no, no, that's the thing. It wasn't 30 years. Throughout the 90s, all of us saw her. The big kickoff happened when it came back on DVD, and everyone who'd grown up with this VHS version went, Hey, hey! Katzenberg! I'm not even was, there anymore. Katzenberg, exactly. where, where did you put it? And, it? and then it's like, well, technically it wasn't in the theatrical version, so this is The Muppet's Christmas cow. Great, you've given us an inferior version. And we bitched at Disney for 20 more years. And eventually they went, fine, we'll do it as an extra on Disney+. Plus. Now, I would like to posit that until Disney... Put this one front and center and make it the default that when you go looking for it, rather than the complete version or whatever they've, they've called, the full-length version in the extras right underneath the trailer, until they do that and make it the default, Jeffrey wins their old archenemy from the 90s who went off to get his own studio with Shrek and Blackjack.
6: Yes, this is the man who tried to remove part of your world from... That's the one. I told
0: Willow about that earlier and Willow was like, this man was insane.
11: He does not understand musicals. So.
0: Mm. Well, apparently in the screening, a boy was kicking the front of his chair, and Jeffrey was like, "See, see, our target audience doesn't like the Little Mermaid. Get rid of it." And I think Robert Ashman was like getting out his garrote wire and said, "I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him." And he's like, "No, no, no. You you must let Jeffrey live. It's important. <laughs> why? Like he I must.
1: Said, that's why that that Ashman's kicking towered, the back Ashman. of his chair at Christmas. He must
0: create Shark Tale for some reason." <laughs> But, yeah, no, That he he decided to just scissor that out. It, to me, it feels like a flex, like a move of bitterness. Uh, like, you know, you, you didn't hear me on the, the uh, part of your world, and, yeah, I suppose the Little Mermaid may have precipitated what they call the Disney Renaissance. But, you know, I'm going to cut this out.
6: <laughs> he doesn't stop there. Also, I want to correct this because you both have said this. It's Howard
1: Ashman. Who did oh God, I say? Did I say Robert Ashman? You both said Robert Who's Robert Ashman?
0: No you made Murray up yeah. a person. I did.
1: I'm so sorry. It's the Robert <laughs> Marley. It's got me confused. Ah. Howard Ashman. Yes. Yes. I am Ashman, so sorry. Howard Ashman, who was, rest in peace,
6: one of the greatest songwriters to ever live. Mm. Basically, um,
0: Disney are who they are now because of this one dude. Yes, he Watch
6: is the Watch the one
0: documentary who... Howard, which is called yeah. Howard after his first name, <laughs> Robert.
6: <laughs> Howard. And... Katzenberg may have done this out of spite, but he didn't stop here, because he pulled the exact same trick in Disney's Pocahontas, which wouldn't have been a great movie regardless, but the central love theme, which is consistently used throughout the score as a fundamental backbone of the
0: movie, is removed. Yep,
6: It is the exact same level of complete disregard for how the emotional stakes of a film works, because he does not get that films have to have ups and downs to be good. Mm. Really, I think left to his own devices, Jeffrey Katzenberg would make films like the Michael Bay Transformers, where every moment is the most important moment all of the time. Mm. Because he doesn't... As long as people are paying attention in the moment, that's all that he sees as important.
0: Again, weirdly, because of the hung video releases, there was a platinum edition of Pocahontas where, uh, If I Never Knew You was reinstated seamlessly into the film and it became the best version of the film. And then the Blu-ray came out and it wasn't. It's was like, well, technically it's more like the theatrical version. That doesn't make it better!
6: And there's not going to be the campaign for Pocahontas because... Mm. While the song definitely should be in there and it makes the movie immeasurably better
0: Could we take out Mel Gibson and the racism and um, (laughs) everything?
6: There's too many other things wrong with that movie. There wasn't anything wrong with them up at Christmas Carol, and then mm. you just made it worse for no good reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, I Put that up on with Jeffrey the... Katzenberg's tombstone, <laughs> which, up by up the way, the we the need VH. to throw yes. him into a grave and say, This is what you did, Jeffrey! This is about <laughs> me, isn't it? I'm sick of you threatening
4: me and talking to me like a kid and giving me that look you give me like I can't get erections.
9: What?
6: <laughs> Christmas Carol him. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Nathan,
0: go for it. <laughs>
4: I was just gonna
11: say I grew up with the VHS version of this mm. and watching it with my brother like every Christmas, and then when I started collecting movies myself, I I ordered the the uh, anniversary Blu-ray set and didn't know that the song wasn't in it. Mm. So we watched it that Christmas and I was very confused. Mm. It felt like I was being gaslit by a movie I bought. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you actually jumped from VHS version to Blu-ray. Oh, I, actually, no. You know what? I sent you my re-edit, didn't I? Which is yes, obviously yes. it's kind of useless now. But uh, basically, I went around about the time that they found this pressing. Like I had just finished this job, and I was like, "Oh, brilliant!" So everyone gets it. That's fantastic. But I, I went to my uh, Blu-ray copy and I extracted. The film, and then just slid back in this scene from the deleted scenes, I had to mat it, which means basically you lose the information at the top and bottom of the screen, so it maintains that widescreen ratio, but it's there, and I sent that one to you folks in Canada because I knew you cared this much about it.
6: Yes, and we very much appreciate it oh, having worry, that ability yes. to show that to our friends and family before it was available on <laughs> yeah,
0: Disney+. No, Plus. I'm, I'm much <clears> more <throat> glad that everyone gets it, kind of like all of those Star Wars edits I did. I was like, yeah, fuck you got mine, but I would really rather every kid who has access to Disney+, Plus had access to a version of The Empire Strikes Back where Luke's lightsaber isn't a pale grey because they have extracted the colour from that thing. Anyway... There was another song removed from the film that was far less important. Sam Eagle sings to Scrooge about the importance of the American way.
4: It's a golden opportunity that's knocking. And,
14: and you know by now
4: the answer's up to you. But you're ready. You have an education. So be confident there's nothing you can do. You can soar above the mediocre, soar above the rest. If you do your work with vigor, you'll be bigger than the best. Be proud of your ambition. Being lazy is a curse. We want no empty buckets. Vacations, you can overcome that work. Insist on being heard. A squeaky wheel can't be ignored. If you do what's right, if you prove you're bright, you'll be chairman of the board. Think about it, chairman of the board. Yes. Oh, Ebenezer, if only I could be you. Mm, When the world snaps to attention, you should be the first to snap, and you'll wind up. With a feather in your cap, keep your mind a working and your feet firm on the ground. Your dedication makes you king. Today you're being crowned. Keep your mind a working and your feet firm on the ground. Your dedication makes you king. Today you're
0: being crowned.
4: Your dedication makes you king.
0: Today you're being crowned. We're actually going to go all the way back because we stopped and jumped forward at One More Sleep, which is uh, Kermit's song, which is a lovely little... It's it's a song about celebrating, celebrating, as in he's just happy that everyone's happy, and everyone's happy because they're happy. It's a that, that uh, line in um, It Feels Like Christmas, sung by the ghost of uh, Christmas Present, of, you know, make it last all year. It's like, you know, we could be celebrating today, today... For 365 days. We don't actually have to ration it like this. And, like, we're allowed one day of abandon. But there's a reason why it feels special. And obviously the whole, like, not having to work for a lot of people. Some people who have to work on Christmas, those are the most unappreciated people of all. That is a... That is a fucking... That is a hard thing to endure. It wasn't even in Dickens' version of events, apart from the poulterer, who apparently was selling his birds all all day long. And the folks in the cookhouses will talk... Actually, you know what? Can I just... A little thing on poultry. <laughs> <laughs> we watched the Zemeckis version a few nights ago, and... I, I realized in every version, maybe even mine. I haven't. I, I deliberately didn't re-listen to mine, so I, it wouldn't inform too much what I had to say. Scrooge tells a small, penniless street urchin, who in the in this case is a small bunny that he shooed away from his doorstep for daring to sing Christmas carols for a, a few coins to buy a scrap of bread, or maybe somewhere something warm to drink, so he wouldn't freeze to death on the streets of London. Because he's he's the one who uh, Scrooge asks to do it in this one. Uh, In the uh, Zemeckis version, it's just a a young street urchin. He says, I say, you down there, go and buy me a turkey twice as big as you that's in the us just down the street. And the kid's like, ah, you're pulling my leg. And then he eventually goes, no, 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 I'm in earnest. Come back in half an hour and I'll give you half a crown. And it's like, that's very good. Exactly what conversation happened when this small kid entered the poulterers and went. I'd like that turkey, please. No, I don't have any money, but I'd like you to stop work and come down the street and give it to Mr. Scrooge, who famously celebrates Christmas in lavish fashion. None nothing about that makes sense at all. It's, it's one of those, I mean, it's one turkey, Michael. What can it cost? Nothing. It's like <laughs> give the bunny money. Scrooge needs to be like, but if I give this kid money, he might steal it. You know what? I'm gonna trust him. That's the point!
9: Now, to
6: be fair, the Muppet Christmas Carol, he does throw a bag of coins down at the bunny to go buy them. Brilliant. So he isn't, he isn't left with nothing to okay. go buy a turkey with.
0: That's good. But That's fine.
6: I do always have that little moment of like, man, if I was that kid and yesterday had happened, I'd probably just take the money and run because you gave me enough money to buy the turkey. That's probably <laughs> as much as you're promising him, <laughs> if not more. Mm-hmm.
0: Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial. Stirring cold golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious!
12: You there, boy!
0: Balthus called down to a young fellow in dark clothes, dejectedly dragging a broom handle through the snow.
12: I oh, ain't no boy, I'm a man. A man of the night.
0: The man-child replied.
13: I don't think that means what you think it means. The
0: nearby horse seemed to say.
12: What's, what's today? Eh? Hey? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day! I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like, of course they can, of course they
0: can. He returned to the open window and called the chap back. The boy had wandered most of the way off, thinking Baltus a loon.
12: Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I do. An intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. He isn't. Turkey. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey, the big one? Yarp, it's hanging there now. Go, Go and buy it. Norp, Is that some kind of gutter snipe slang? He means no. Well then, please believe me, my buck, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown.
11: Yes, sir. The lad was off like a shot.
0: Okay, that one's on me. Forgot to give the bunny money.
11: The real Christmas miracle is how the raw turkey was fully cooked in that final shot.
1: Well, yes, given the amount of time they had before it <laughs> yeah. <somebody Yeah>. turned <laughs> up on the doorstep. <laughs> I'll just
0: throw it in the oven, then. yeah,
1: it's it's like that, uh, that situation where... People, oh, they cook you know, it on the like, spit,
0: don't they? The uh, the flaming hot goose. They cook
1: the <clears> goose <throat> on the spit. Yeah, in in the Muppets version.
0: Yeah. Oh, side note again, the Zemeckis version has uh, Cratchit's wife go. Be nice if one year we could maybe afford a turkey when they're just about to carve up the goose, and it's like I, I realized here that she like she's all persnickety at Bob, and that passive aggressiveness like this is ill-befitting of poor people. That is a middle-class thing to do. Just like, like, you can't afford to be passive-aggressive. You're piss-poor. Be aggressive-aggressive. Actually be furious. And she is in most versions. But, like, don't take snips out of your husband over this. Like, either be aggressive-aggressive or be jolly. There's no room for being snippy with each other. It's, it just makes the audience not like... Bob's wife.
1: Mm. I would say, generally speaking, I completely understand where passive aggressiveness comes mm. from, because it's it's something that manifests in you when you have been taught at a very young age, that actually asking for what you want mm. gets you nothing.
0: Hold your tongue, be a sarcastic butler, middle yeah, class. Indeed.
1: Um, however, <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a fundamentally useless method of expression, <laughs> because you are literally giving people the gateway to ignore you.
0: But that's great why, like, when Piggy is angry it's like you have absolutely every reason to go Founder of the Feast indeed! Like the whole audience is with her at that point. Absolutely. Even if they've seen all the context of Scrooge.
6: And you know that given the given the opportunity, she would kick it out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh Peter, the Christmas dinner!
4: <laughs> the goose! <laughs> the goose! <laughs> Now, son, son, now, now, you've gotten too excited. You go sit in your chair a moment. Okay, rest, rest a moment. How
7: was he at church? Oh, as good as gold and better. Mm. He told me that he hoped the people saw him in church because it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. A remarkable child. And with that, the Cratchits came to what was surely
3: the Happiest single moment in all the live-long
5: year. Such a meager feast. But very much appreciated. I pay Bob such a small amount.
7: Mr. Scrooge. Bob. Bob Cratchit. It only seems right that I should lift a glass to my employer. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast.
4: The founder of the feast, indeed. <laughs> If I had him here, I would give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I bet he would choke on it. Hmm. Choke?
7: Choke. My dear, the the children, Christmas Day.
4: Oh, uh, well, well, I I suppose that on the blessed day of Christmas, one must drink to the health of uh, Mr. Scrooge, Mm -hmm. even though he is odious, Mm -hmm. stingy, Mm -hmm. uh, wicked, Mm -hmm. and unfeeling, Mm -hmm. and badly dressed. (gasps) To the founder of the feast, Mr. Mm -hmm. Scrooge. Mm Uh, to Mr. Scrooge, you will be very merry and happy this day, I have no doubt. I'm no doubt. No doubt.
7: Mm. Cheers.
0: Oh, one uh, more thing I noticed about Piggy. and I didn't really notice it. I just realized that there's a lot of, like, the context of Miss Piggy that modern-day kids are not going to get. She's Barbara Streisand, and she always was.
6: Yeah, she is a type of character who is very originally intended as a reference and who has, through sheer willpower, become her own figure in pop culture. Arguably more so at this point than some of the other Muppets because unlike basically most of the other main characters, she hasn't ever changed who was performing her. She was Frank Oz from the drop Mm. and had remained so for a very very long time
1: uh somebody actually took over performing her in 2002
6: yep that's because of the disney the newer chunk of the disney merger but Mm. up until that point Mm. she was a much more familiar voice for longer whereas kermit we lost sadly
0: yeah there's kind of like a, a original Kermit, and then there's um, Steve Whitmer Kermit, and after 2017, it was Matt Vogel. But I noticed then this was a uh, this was on a very recent um, interview about the 30 year anniversary. Dave Goles is still playing Gonzo. Now he is stuck with that blue guy the whole way through. That's fantastic.
6: And Gonzo is my favorite Muppet, so I'm extraordinarily grateful that we get to keep him the way he is.
0: It's a calling. It's like Frank Oz had movies to direct, he had all sorts like he acts, he has all sorts of stuff to do. He's in Knives Out. It's almost like he's uh, Dave Golds has decided, my life is Gonzo, and that is who I am. It's 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 a calling. I love that so much. A couple of things I need to mop up that we jumped over. At the end of One More Sleep, which is a lovely, sweet song and just really defines Kermit as this source of, of, of uh, humble joy, there is a stone-cold ending that we, we end on Bean Bunny just shivering in the garbage. So the kids are like, hey, that's great. He's going off to, to his uh, family. And then there's poverty in a way that is unavoidably terrible. It's like the, the actual root of the song Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie is about recognising that. And it's kind of a passage away from childhood. This is almost like a a naked lunch moment of realizing not so much what lies on the end of every fork, but how many people, that their life is hanging in the balance.
6: And I think another really effective recurring moment of that is the family of mice that you see throughout the first chunk of the movie Hmm. living in a literal hole in the wall with a single table. And there's like six of them. And you keep getting these little moments where, oh, the cute little mice that live in a tiny, cold little hole in a wall and don't have any cheese. No <laughs> cheeses for the no Mises. No cheeses
0: for us Mises. Speaking of which, I put this on the Discord, but I didn't put it in my notes. Uh, you know the bit I'm going to go for It's regarding the economy. I don't know if you guys read this, but Jesus. Hold
10: on. Where am I going to find it? There we go.
6: Not super great that Charles Dickens wrote this hundreds of years ago, and London is in about the same economic s- situation at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
9: <laughs>
0: right. Uh, there were critics of the book. The new monthly magazine praised the story, but thought the book's physical excesses, the guilt edges, and expensive bite. Now, that one I already said, uh, kept the, the price high, making it unavailable to the poor, which is why I said it needs to be read by all. Corners of society But it had been by that point Because
1: it had already been released in instalments And that's why it was so popular
0: It's a unifying story And it shouldn't really be uh, barred from anyone It's it's available for free on Kindle And everyone should read it Uh, It was
6: also at the time In Victorian England Being read as like Stage productions essentially Hmm. They were being read out to people Because it's important to remember Lots of illiteracy in the 1800s Lots of people didn't just couldn't read, even if they wanted
0: to. Yeah. Uh, It's also noteworthy that a largely illiterate population allows a population that can read to lord it over them, Mm. which is exactly what the ruling class wants. Docile, easily manipulatable masses. They don't like it when we read. They definitely don't like it when we shout. Anyway, but an unnamed writer for the Westminster Review mocked Dickens' grasp of economics, asking, who went without turkey and punch in order that Bob Cratchit might get them? For unless there were turkeys and punch in surplus, someone must go without. In other words, what's the point of feeding this poor person? It means that this poor person can't get a turkey or something. And it's like, dude, the obscene... Excesses of the rich and wealthy are well documented. And they're shown in this film.
6: (laughs) And also, you don't understand economics. Yeah. That turkey might not have been sold to anybody and mm. then put on extreme discount the next week because nobody wants cur- turkeys anymore. Well,
0: no one can afford them. And uh, the... Uh, you know, the
1: reason the prize turkey is still in the poulterer's window.
0: If it's if it's like a, 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 <coughs> a person at the very bo- bottom of the economic ladder is actually gifted uh, sorry, a Christmas pudding and it's like, wow, I've never actually been able to eat Christmas pudding before. That's fantastic. And it's like, well, what of the man who was going out to buy a Christmas pudding and could afford it. Well, he'll buy a different kind of pudding. Plum duff or something. It's not a problem, like you're making it out to say. It's not that food is not finite in the way you're describing. It's it's, it's a case of supply and demand. And unfairness is absolutely rife. Anyway. Money
1: is not a supply thing. It's a distribution thing.
0: Indeed. Indeed. The tenets of the story absolutely apply to America as well as England. I watched a fascinating video on the channel Our Changing Climate called Why We Need a War on Christmas. And it's not about wresting it from overly pushy Christians who want to dominate this time of year. It's about how it became, and more specifically why it became, a season of rabid commerce, guilt and needless excess. It's why Santa Claus was weaponized by Coca-Cola. And this doesn't mean any of us should feel guilty for enjoying a bit of a break at Christmas time. Lord knows there's enough guilt knocking around as it is. This is about historical and social perspective.
14: The Christmas of today, with its emphasis on cozy material consumption inside a single-family home, epitomizes the dreams of the capitalist class. Christmas silos the biological family and coerces us to buy goods to show our love. Goods that usually end up wasted or unused and drive capitalist accumulation. But Christmas in the US wasn't always like this. In fact, it was almost the opposite. It's 1820 and the snows of December are settling onto the streets of New York City. While some cozy up to the fire and spend time indoors to celebrate Christmas and the new year, many are out on the streets making noise. In the early 19th century, the week between Christmas and New Year's was marked by public revelry and misrule. The workers and laborers of New York City spent the week reversing the norms of their city. They took their partying out onto the streets, played loud music in what are called Calathumpian parades, and generally made a ruckus. As industrial capitalism expanded its factories, improved its machinery, and exploited increasingly more laborers on the wage market, the 1820s witnessed the growth of the urban proletariat. So that week of public revelry in the 1820s wasn't just a time of pleasure and release for those toiling away under their capitalist bosses. It was also a time to reverse their power, if only for a moment. When these roving Calathumpian parades hit the streets, they did so in the neighborhoods of the rich and powerful. In Stephen Nissenbaum's book, The Battle for Christmas, he recounts one such scene in 1826, when a gang stopped in front of the Broadway house of the city's mayor. There, enacted a scene of disgraceful rage. So during the Christmas season, the newly minted urban wage laborers were using the traditions of public revelry as a weapon to brandish their discontent and achieve some means of agency. Nissenbaum notes that December for the growing population of industrial wage laborers meant uncertainty. It could mean increased hours at work to keep up with business as usual or, for others, forced unemployment because winter freezes ground water-powered factories to a halt. This means the Christmas season was marked by an acute feeling of working-class discontent about their conditions. So as Nissenbaum goes on to write, the Christmas season with its carnival traditions of wassail, misrule, and Kellethumpian street theater could easily become a vehicle of social protest, an instrument to express powerful ethnic, and class resentments. Throughout the early 19th century, the traditions of public revelry were wielded on the streets of urban centers like New York City as a means of protest. Christmas represented an opportunity for social inversion, whereas, journalist Paul Ringel writes, poorer people could demand food and drink from the wealthy and celebrate in the streets, abandoning established social constraints. But the capitalist class, the wealthy elite who were made to feel unsafe in their homes during the Christmas season, didn't sit idly by while these gangs of revelers upended their social structure. They had a plan. They sought to change the traditions of Christmas itself. And I love watching videos that point out major societal
0: issues, but don't just leave us with an, oh dear, I guess it's never gonna change, defeatist attitude. So if you watch Why We Need A War On Christmas by Our Changing Climate, he does give some ways in which we can rest back a more personal, less money-driven Yuletide. But if you've seen Muppet's Christmas Carol, you kind of know the answer already. There's more of gravy than of grave about you.
8: More of gravy than of grave? What a terrible pun! Where do you get those jokes? Leave comedy to the bears, Ebenezer. He's...
5: Jacob, Robert, don't criticize me. You always criticize me.
8: We were always heckling you. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again. Why do you come to me? We're Marley and Marley, avarice and greed. We took advantage of the poor, just ignored the needy. We specialized in causing pain, spreading fear and doubt. And if you could not pay the rent, we simply threw you out. (laughs) There was the year we evicted the entire orphanage. Uh, I remember the little kites all standing in the snowbank with their little frostbitten teddy bears. (laughs) (laughs) We're Marley and Marley, our hearts were painted black. Should have known our evil deeds would put us both in shackles, captive bound. We're double iron, exhausted by the weight. As freedom comes from giving love, so prison comes with hate. We're Marley and Marley, we're Marley and Marley. Marley, and Marley.
5: But my friends, you were not unfeeling towards your fellow men.
8: True. There was something about mankind we loved. I think it was their money. (laughs) Doom, Scrooge. You're doomed for all time. Your future is a horror story written by your crime. Your chains are forged by what you say and do. So have your fun
9: when life is done. A nightmare waits for you.
2: (laughs) What are these terrible chains? Oh, the chains! we forge
8: forged these chains in life by our acts of greed! You wear such a chain yourself! Humbug! Speak comfort to me, friends! Comfort! Ah!
3: Ah. You will be haunted by three spirits!
7: Haunted? I've already
5: had enough of that.
8: Without these visits, you cannot hope to avoid the past weekend. Expect the first ghost tonight, when the bell tolls one. Can't
5: I meet them all at once and get it over with?
8: When the bell tolls one. We're Marley and Marley. We're Marley and Marley.
0: I do also want to compliment the ghost effects in this "Marley and Marley." Again, with this fantastic uh, remastering, I really saw the texture of the wallpaper behind them and through mm-hmm. them. It, it becomes so so clear when composite work's been being done, but it actually makes it better rather than they're not there. It's like, yeah, no, they're they're ghosts. Uh, go, they are not there. Absolutely,
1: "Marley and Marley." Can I just point out mm. it is my favourite song.
0: Yes, so. it makes it's it's a really great little distillation of what's supposed to be a terrifying. Scary scene that at the same time that even the Zemeckis version was like, let's be self indulgent and make the kids laugh with this bit of uh, like he gets his jaw all like unhinged and he's like, nah, 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 nah. but um, the Ghost of Christmas Past, I think I love the the most of all of these and actually maybe of all ghosts in uh, in cinema in terms of what she looks like, it's a rod puppet and it's being filmed underwater with uh, specific lights shining upon her to, to give her that ethereal glow. But if you look very carefully at the way that the fabric is floating, it's very much evoking the the same technique used in the Poltergeist movie uh, ten years before this. And again, we are this close to everything being CG from this point onwards. They don't do the rod puppet underwater that much. I think they actually brought it back for some of the Dementors in one of the Harry Potters, mm-hmm. yeah. but not for all of them. And you can definitely tell which ones look really effective and which ones look less so.
6: Yes, it's a really, really effective... Uh puppeting technique in this film and it really adds to the eeriness of past specifically. Mm. In the original novelette, the character is described as it's like a flame which is just, it's always so hard to make past look correct in any way because Mm. the original description is just it's just not a thing that can really exist in visual space and they do a really good job with this puppet's like bright flaming red hair and indistinctly aged appearance where Mm. when you look really close at the face it's more like the baby faces on any of the other Muppets than anything else but the voice is Almost a blend of like childlike and elderly wisdom, and it's a very, very effective way of of doing past.
1: Almost every version I've seen of it in illustrations, it's a it's a girl or a, a child of indeterminate gender, mm. and that sense of Scrooge's past being represented by a young, vaguely feminine presence echoes bell echoes fan gives us that feeling of of these are the things that are behind him but the effect of the the water for this one it really made me feel like they're, they're encapsulating the sense that the past is flowing that it's something that's constantly on the move in a in a very different way to how it's it really ought to be the other way around if you think about it but future when he gets to it is very rock like and rigid and very hard and that's why he has this moment of existential crisis that he's terrified he can't change the future it's like the past is isn't nailed down he refuses to remember it because it's too painful mm-hmm. and therefore it's constantly in motion and that makes his future incredibly fixed yes it's it's a fluid versus a solid type
6: of, of puppet design and yes talking about future I really love Future's hands, which are the most important feature of any Ghost of Christmas Future. Mm -hmm. And the way that they both mimic a stone statue like an angel or a gorgoyle you might find in a cemetery. Mm -hmm. But they also look quite distinctly that shade of blue that you get from frozen corpses. They look like a dead man's hands. And just enough that they're not unsettling to look at, but enough that that... That air of doom that that tinge of death is just kind of inherent in the character and the the rest of his cloak is a lot more ragged looking than it's more it's got lots of holes (laughs) but not in a like it looks like it's been torn up kind of way like the fundamental fabric of it is is ethereal in a way so that even though the the creature looks like it's made of stone in a lot of ways. It's also still ghostly enough that it just doesn't come off as, like, a guy in a, you know, Grim Reaper costume being angry at
1: you.
0: <laughs> With the kid voicing the uh, Ghost of Christmas Past, they take you from the cradle to the grave. And the, mm-hmm. uh, the middle-aged um, spirit in between. Uh, also the fact that it's like a, a little kid's voice... Uh, telling him with absolute certainty what's going on it's it's not necessarily that the past is the truth but the idea of you can look back on the past and and rail against it and blame other people but the whole you know that they are what they are do not blame me it's it becomes kind of a these are things you need to take stock of and reincorporate into yourself
6: Mm -hmm. you have been avoiding thinking about this because on some level, you do know that this is all your fault. Mm. You've been trying to blame the world or others, and even eventually you try to blame the ghost for just showing you these things. Mm. And a large part of his journey is accepting that the de- he is making decisions that are having consequences. This isn't just the way things are. You're doing this to yourself. <laughs>
11: It's that it's a journey from viewing himself as a victim to realizing that his actions have consequences that victimize other people. Hmm.
1: And there's a there's a line in the story as well which I don't think is in this version but it's, it's about the idea of viewing other humans as fellow travelers to the grave hmm. ultimately
0: and not some other species.
1: Yeah, ultimately Scrooge is going to die sooner or later. Everyone's headed in the same direction. But what this is, is trying to bring home to him is...
0: And uh, the by extension, the rich of London.
1: Indeed. Is that actually regardless of what you think is going to happen to you after you die, in the lead up to your death... You aren't going to be able to avoid thinking about the things you've done that you regret and the things that you feel guilty about. And those things will follow you in the last stages of that journey. And that, to me, that's what the the uh, spirit of Christmas yet to come is about. It's not necessarily about what happens in the aftermath of Scrooge's death. It's what he is not going to be able to avoid in the last few Years or days before it. The
0: thing that terrifies so many people the most, but doesn't really have a name, it's the certainty that you are going to die and that you can't change the bad things you did. Mm. And presented with that, Scrooge is like, I just, I can change them. You just need to give me a chance. That's what the whole story is. Imagine you were at the point where you couldn't change them and you had no more choices. Now we're going to close out this particular thought exercise and reopen the world to you.
6: Exactly. Hmm. And since we kind of skipped from past to future, we'll bring things back into the middle here. And I will say, I adore this version of Christmas present so much. He's such a big, joyful, just bundle of life. And those big, fluffy, suited Muppets can be some of the most appealing if they just get to live in these big, boisterous spaces. And it's so charming to see... Michael Caine starts to warm up a little bit During his numbers
9: yeah.
0: in C- He does a little and- dance and he's kind of rubbish at it Because Scrooge doesn't have any practice at dancing
6: <laughs> But he's trying and it's like He's never actually looked at anything around him mm. Until present comes to show him Directly what is been in front of him
0: all of this time it's effectively you've been really scared of all this but it's fine
6: it's actually quite nice
0: (laughs) which is um
11: it's kind of foreshadowed in the opening with uh, the mr scrooge number where Mm. he's walking and staring straight ahead Mm. and not acknowledging anything around him even though there's a chorus of Muppets singing about how terrible a person he is
1: (laughs) and there is there is a parallel there's a visual parallel between the two as well because all of those vegetables and and all that abundance that was at the street market is brought into the room with the spirit of Christmas present and laid at his feet you've got this cornucopia of food
0: this cauliflower used to know the lyrics to this
1: song that doesn't like Scrooge (laughs) even the vegetables don't like (laughs) him.
6: And it's also a version that remembers to keep the Christmas present aging into his death at the Mm -hmm. end, and because it's done so much work to endear you to him in those first moments with him, it's a gut punch, and you believe that Scrooge genuinely does not want this person to leave him, because he's actually let this person change him in a way that he hasn't let anybody get near in decades.
11: Uh, it's important to recognize, too, that when he finally disappears, he he goes laughing. He's joyful right to the end, which is something that Scrooge has never really experienced before.
6: It is something that he's hopefully going to learn from the Ghost of Christmas present and take into his future.
0: There's a, a double meaning in the fact that uh, um, the present d- it dies and goes gray. It's the fact that, uh, again, I'm going back to that song of uh, lyric of uh, the the message. If you hear it is make it last all year. I got to tell you folks about January and February in England. It sucks. It's it's all the cold and misery of December, but without the glitz and glamour of Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Oh, my God, Christmas and the songs and the lights and all that. We pack all the lights away we stop all the like you know celebrations and focusing on on you know just being cozy and warm and thinking about family and other people because you know they've they've spent the money now and and we can pack this up and just kind of the world goes into wet dark hibernation and it sucks so personally were it up to me i would be a bit less intense throughout december and just Spread that out through January and February as well. Maybe just have a Christmas one and a Christmas two in in February as well. Just, just not so much ration it, but just spread it out a bit because it, it, it's it's almost condemning people to a Christmasless world the moment that the ghost of Christmas present goes grey.
6: I would like to start a petition in Canada that we change the already deeply arbitrary date of Canadian Thanksgiving, (laughs) which is currently in October, to sometime at the end of January or Ah. early February to make up for that uh, problem, because it has been, there's so much of studies that prove that there's a day in the tail end of January, the very beginning of February, that is just the most depressing day of the year, where Mm. it's just, everything is dark and it's still cold outside and there's nothing
1: to look forward to. You turn and on the radio, it's just to...
0: Radiohead all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: See this, this is why I like being pagan because I get to celebrate Imbolc which is on February the 2nd and is basically a holiday that consists of going outside and going up oh! Snowdrops! Thank goodness, it's not going to be cold and frosty forever.
0: So, sort of a somewhere between spring and Christmas. Yeah, it's yeah. It's,
1: it's the breaking of winter, essentially. Yeah. Is that okay. what Groundhog's Day is creeping off of? Because that's also February second, and uh, is
0: yeah.
6: theoretically about. Uh, <laughs> is the, is
0: spring going to be here soon, or will it be a few more weeks of winter?
6: It was also my grandmother's birthday, which was always
1: easy to remember. Thankfully.
0: You like guys with prominent front teeth. <laughs> um but
1: also valentine's day
0: i mean speaking of paganism by the way we've got uh in in almost every depiction of him the ghost of christmas present draws heavily on what did you call him the ivy king the, the or the
1: holly king the so holly king yeah in in some takes on paganism particularly wicca uh there are alexandrian wicca specifically there are two versions of the 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 Dying and reincarnating, God, <laughs> the Oak King who reigns in summer, and the Holly King who reigns in winter. And the idea is that one always has to give way to the other. It's about balance. It's about these things ebbing and flowing. And and winter comes, but it but summer will come back. And enjoy summer while you have it, because winter is just around the corner. And Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is a
3: oh and, yeah a
1: mirror of this as well. The idea that there are these two. <laughs> Um, masculine spiritual figures and you can only have one one has to let go for the other to exist
0: well thank goodness the uh, ghost of Christmas present doesn't visit and say Scrooge see if you can cut off my okay. head
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean he is, it is and, and this is there are strong strains of Father Christmas Santa Claus oh yeah uh, Saint Nicholas, various assorted.
0: non-denominational uh, Father Winter.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but
6: there's, there a little is bit a more lot. than a
1: little bit of uh, Bacchus, a little Bacchanalian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... That is that is totally underpinning that as well. There, there is a lot of pagan imagery in this, and I can kind of understand why the some of the very rigid Christianity of the era that this came out in would have been somewhat puritanically miffed about Dickens' emphasis on, hey, maybe some good times could be had here.
0: Which brings me to another video by Kaz Rowe, an excellent piece on the creepy history of Europe's Christmas folk villains. But this section is more about a surprising irony. So
15: for as long as Christmas has existed, it has overwhelmingly been observed as more of a party than a strictly religious holiday. As Stephen Nissenbaum writes in The Battle for Christmas, Christmas has always been an extremely difficult holiday to Christianize. Little wonder that the Puritans were willing to save themselves the trouble. But Christmas proved to be a divisive subject even amongst Puritans. In 1664, the minister Increase Mather wrote, Discoursed much about Christmas. Icon, they pro. Everything changes in time and yet, Everything stays the same. Christmas would be seen and observed in this light, especially in the U.S. colonies until the 1700s, when many congregations decided that Christmas would be a pretty rad holiday if only people would be a more... Pious about it. Christmas is pretty good but if we have any critique about it it would be that it needs a little less boss a little more baby. <laughs> they began promoting the idea that people could celebrate Christmas if they could combine the religious observance with a much tamer form of mirth. Many composers began publishing new Christmas music and in general people began getting a lot more comfortable with the idea of celebrating Christmas as a bit of a mashup of vibes. Which leads us into the 1800s when Christmas really became the holiday we know it as today. Whereas before even well into the 1900s, Christmas was just a regular workday for most people, and even many churches were closed on Christmas. The 1800s saw the beginnings of the push to make Christmas a public and legally recognized holiday. In the end, it wasn't the church itself that succeeded in converting Christmas into a quiet holiday from the festival of chaos, but rather secular pop culture. Which is really funny when you think about it. Today, the phrase war on Christmas is typically used by people to rail against the commercialist and secularization of Christmas, if not the simple recognition that other holidays also exist. When it was that very secularization and commercialization that itself saved Christmas from the literal war on Christmas being enacted by the church. (laughs) The jokes always write themselves really.
6: It's only such a huge cultural thing, in a large part due to the fact that it incorporates bits and pieces from very non-Christian backgrounds, because at the end of the day, what we all need is some excuse to be together and have a good time and warmth and love in what is one of the most miserable parts of the year otherwise. (laughs)
0: Uh, Which brings me back to some of the comments about the original book as it was released by Dickens. The religious press generally ignored the tale, but in January 1884, Christian Remembrancer thought the tale's old and hackneyed subject was treated in an original way and praised the author's sense of humour and pathos so that's good Uh, however the writer and social thinker John Rushkin, this is the mother of all bad takes, told a friend that he thought Dickens had taken the religion from Christmas and had imagined it as mistletoe and pudding neither resurrection from the dead that's Easter you bonehead, nor rising of new stars, nor teaching of wise men,
10: it's literally got teaching from wise
0: men in it nor shepherds i can understand if you were like listen christmas is all about resurrection from the dead scrooge is in his grave at the end and he's like please give me one more chance and he gets given one more chance thus resurrecting from the dead so even if for you christmas is about that death and rebirth on the sabbath it's there it's right there (laughs) I don't I don't know how you can draw these conclusions. He sounds like he was barking mad.
6: It's also just missing the forest for the trees. Oh yeah. Which I think is a common problem with Christianity.
0: I don't think Jesus would want us to be kind to the checks notes poor.
6: Exactly. It is <laughs> it is telling you the things that are supposed to actually matter about the religion you follow. <laughs> the lessons, the morals, the kindness to your fellow man. And the inability for people to accept things that they should agree with if they have the wrong coat on is endlessly frustrating.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the destined casting that I mentioned before the, the bit that makes this seem like something that was always supposed to exist for it to be a book that was written and then adapted 150 or so years later 149 in fact Fozzywig playing <laughs> Mr. Fezziwig. are you kidding me it's Fozzy just wig. like that necessitates making this whole thing like as Jim Henson Productions, you need to be like we we got to get on this because Fozzy wig. It's such a great joke that you you build the whole film around that
6: This is a Muppet film with a l- Small part for Fozzy, but it's such a good joke. Oh, yeah, That it does just It does seem like fate and also Also, the fundamental change it requires to the story that Scrooge's first job was at a rubber chicken factory and he still turned out like this. You couldn't have given him any job that would have stopped him from being this. You could have had him work at the crutch factory and he still would have
13: been (laughs) a jerk.
0: I... Also, another neat change was uh, in the Zemeckis version, I don't know if this is a uh, direct line from the book, I wasn't able to check, uh, I'm fairly certain it is, because the Zemeckis version cleaved to the text even more strongly, Uh, it's Fozziewig alive again, and it's like, oh, the bear died, and at the end, the bear is very clearly alive with a giant ear trumpet, he's old, but Fozziewig is still kicking. (laughs)
6: Buzzingale <laughs> is still kicking, and as is his schoolmaster.
0: Yes, yeah, Sam and Eagle. It is the American way. It
4: is the British way.
0: That's it. <laughs> that's the one. I mean, that—that's like a biscuit away from Yoda. No. Nah. So really, it just falls to 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 visit the Cratchit house, and um, the, it's a it's a one-two punch. You you kind of get to see this lovely little sort of domestic scene. Piggy steals the show again. Um, but. It's the fact that it goes from sort of a bickering conversation at the table to uh, to Robin, Tiny Tim, going, To the founder of the feast! And then singing that little song. It's so innocent. It's so naive. It's so sweet-natured. It is impossible not to start blubbing at the look of it. And Scrooge cries significantly several times in this film. The first one is cut out of most versions, and that's when Belle starts singing. And... Michael Caine was in the recording booth to record his part of the song. Obviously, he he was lip-syncing to it in the film. Um, and they said, do you want to, us to play her voice in your ears so you can sing along with it? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. I don't want to ever be alone on, in in a room with just myself, which is a sweet, sad <laughs> thing to say. But it, it obviously got him to that emotional place. But also, he was like, I'm a rubbish singer. But the dire- the, the musical director was like, use it. Scrooge is not going to be a good singer, he hasn't had the practice. And so Kane sort of like full footedly went in with this not particularly great harmonizing with Belle, and it, it works beautifully for that particular moment, and when he cries there, it's, it's impossible not to sort of start to feel for Scrooge. This is a really important scene! It'd be like, you'd only take it out if you were so crazy, you were actually worse than Scrooge yourself.
6: Also the first moment he reaches out to try to make a real connection with anybody. Yeah. It's it's Belle and he can't connect to her anymore, but he is singing a duet with her. He is the most musical language type of of connection you can have and this distancing that this was too long ago. You could have stepped in with her and you could have changed this and you didn't. Mm. And Jeffrey Katzenberg denied that to too many.
11: <laughs> he he watches his younger self walk away before he steps in and starts singing, which is just a heartbreaking moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he goes off to uh, spend a life making money. What's the problem? So... <laughs> um,
11: the
6: crutches. As well, he gets caught
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Another significant time he is uh, he moved to tears is at uh, his nephew Fred's house when they're playing that game, and it's Ebenezer Scrooge, and everybody laughs, and Fred's like, ha, ah, ha, 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 and it's like he, he misses a dinner. He, indeed, he misses a very good dinner. But the hurt on Michael Caine's face, especially in this new print, and I was really paying attention to him this time, his eyes start to water as he, he realises how much fun everyone's having just... Making fun of him and that Fred kind of initiated it. And it's it's just a sense of it's self-pity, but it's also like this I am a wretched thing that they say it's, I am.
1: It's specifically the phrase an unwanted creature. It's mm. it's him realizing that people don't want him around.
9: Yeah.
2: meant to be The love is good
5: Love. Love.
9: It was, it was almost, almost always.
2: always. It was like a fairy tale.
0: revisit to the, of the uh, Cratchit house, uh, and the, just the, it's always one of that that it's always the hardest moment of every production of this because you've got Bob trying to hold it together, and um, I think that they're able to make to get so much out of it by just slowly moving the camera up to a tiny crutch on a chair that has no practical use anymore but is, in the words of the original book carefully preserved they destroy you with that shot while playing the threadbare bars of that particular song that Robin was singing not even Tiny Tim, just
14: Robin
1: I think part of the the import of, of Tim's death is that and in, in this version in particular, Bob is being so philosophical about it. And the, that phrase about...
0: She's going. She's breaking.
1: When is that damn thing going to set?
0: The guy interviewing the, phrase... the Muppets about the 30-year anniversary was trying to hold it together whenever Robin started speaking. Yeah. and <laughs> I sympathise.
1: The phrase about life being made up of meetings and partings and that being the way of it, there there is there is an acceptance to it it's not so much the loss that carries the weight it's the idea that the loss is unnecessary that with means and with resources Tim did not have to die, he certainly didn't have to die that early, like I said one of the lines that always drives me crazy about this is Tiny Tim who did not die,
0: who did not die, yes
1: he did,
0: he's a Highlander
1: yes he did (laughs) And if he didn't, then years later he is cursing Ebenezer Scrooge for the immortality that he has foisted on him. Yes. (laughs) But the the idea that a a death that a doctor could have alleviated if they had money for a doctor, if they didn't live in a society that required you to have money for a doctor, this is a thing that should not in the year of our lord 2022 be a thing that people still have to feel intensely Current and it year is. argument. and <sighs> it sh- freaking shouldn't be but that's one of the reasons why i think that that weight is still there this is an old pain and it still exists
0: oh i'm sorry tiny tim is not uh, covered on this hospital service provider <sighs> oh
6: frustrating and devastating that so much of this story is still relevant and Mm. i i wish we could live in a world where it was more of a a relic of history and less of a cutting indictment of reality
0: Mm. well i said it was evergreen there is a real double-edged sword to that it shouldn't be evergreen it should be something we evolve beyond
6: also want to take a moment to note that that scene in particular, the the first passing there has been between us, cuts especially deep, coming from Steve Whitmire's Kermit. Yeah. And the the knowledge that everybody else on that set had to have, on some level, been thinking like Jim and like Jerry, and we are we are left as this family without them and we we do still have to carry on and tell stories and continue as a family even if we have unfairly lost someone that important to us that you know brought everybody together
0: Uh, There's some editorialising around about the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which goes on for quite a bit. Also, the tail end of the ghost of Christmas present involves the uh, finding these golem creature children who are underneath his uh, robe, and they are representational of... Ignorance. Want. Yeah, ignorance and want. And it's illustrative of an ignorant society will not act in its best interests because it doesn't have the wisdom to know how important. See
1: that to me there's there's a I'm I'm actually glad they took them out for this. Yeah? Because I think it's very easy for these characters to be misinterpreted. Mm. Because ignorance and want are very easy to translate into. Well if the poor will go around being ignorant. Yeah it's blaming it, the person for
0: It's blaming the person for the negative quality rather than uh, examining the system that has allowed exactly. these to flourish
1: ignorance as you say is it's about societal ignorance it's about the withholding hmm. of knowledge because it's it's being hoarded and the want element is about people having needs that are not being met hmm. it's it's like fundamental uh, baseline socialism before they really had the terms for it. Mm. And, and hence, like I said, I don't think there would have been an easy way to simplify this so that children could grasp them. And it's, that's why I'm glad they're not there.
6: Yeah. Ignorance and want is very difficult to get across, especially in a shortened time without all of the pros that Dickens uses. And also present an even scarier because they are supposed to be like starving children so either they're going to be actual kids that you've made to look upsettingly hungry and cold and ragged or they're Muppets and you're going to kind of cut some of the the meaning from them just by having Mm. them be like frogs
0: (laughs) oh mice Christ. Emaciated. Like the, the, the Zemeckis emaciated. version's like, let's hit this one right on the nose, shall we? Uh, the the emaciated children turn uh, respectively, the boy turns into a little criminal that uh, uh Scrooge is terrified of and thinks that everyone is a criminal who's going to knife him for his money and the girl turns into an obvious prostitute
1: and then gets yanked away to an asylum.
0: Yep. Bedlam for that one.
1: Mm-hmm. Another <sighs> bit. Terrible. Present that
6: doesn't make an appearance in this uh, film is visiting uh, workers on Christmas Day, specifically mine workers and sailors, I believe. Yeah. In the Original text.
0: It's the that it's the blighted heath section where it he it visits other people who are having a Christmas.
1: Yeah. He and he scatters um, something from the torture plenty mm. on their on their food to bless them and to give them some semblance yeah. of having something.
9: Yeah. Yes.
1: And I do miss
6: that when it's not present in versions of the christmas carol which it honestly very seldom is like Mm. most adaptations remove this particular element but i do think it is part of what regrounds it from see if you just were nice to everybody everything would be fine to remind you that there are bigger issues at play here there are people who don't even get to be with their families for christmas
1: scrooge is not going to be able to solve all of this simply by increasing bob cratchit's salary. Exactly, and I can see why it gets removed so often. It is very, like,
6: distant from the rest of the story. It's not as personal, but it is back to that social element, that larger societal critique that is so central to The Christmas Carol, which is just, like, one of, along with It's a Wonderful Life, those Christmas classics that are essentially just, hey... We should get rid of capitalism.
0: It's an idea. <laughs> and the Muppets are the first ones on the picket line.
6: Gonzo just firing out of a cannon to guillotine the elites. <laughs> Gonzo would totally
8: do that. <laughs> It's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true, wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas.
1: A cup of kindness that
2: we share with another, a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother.
8: In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. It is the season of the heart. A special time of caring, the ways of love make clear. It, it is the season of the spirit. The message, if we hear it, is make it last on here.
11: It's in the giving up a gift to another, a pair of mittens that were made by your mother
9: it's all
8: the ways that we show love that feel like christmas upon oh, a child will always remember it is the summer of the soul in december yes when you do your best for love it feels like christmas it is the season of the heart a special time of caring the ways of love made clear it is the
3: season of the spirit
8: The message, if we hear it Is make it last all year It's in the singing of a street corner choir It's going home and getting warm by the fire It's true wherever you find love It feels like Christmas It's true wherever you find love it feels like Christmas Christmas. it feels like Christmas Christmas. it feels like Christmas
0: There's another bit that was, uh, in, again, in there's a Zemeckis version, but it was taken out of the Muppets one, which is that uh, uh, bef- after the whole, I don't pay much for warmth. Uh, after the the seeing the pig people, uh, he he gets to see people who are happy that they've managed to purloin his things, which kind of reconfirms uh, Scrooge's everyone's after my stuff thing. Uh, but he he asks to see some happiness on Christmas Day, and uh, the Ghost of Christmas. I, I maintain that these are spirits, by the way, not ghosts. Marley is a ghost. These are spirits. They are, much like want and ignorance, conceptual entities. Mm. And so uh, I'd probably lose a pub quiz. <laughs> uh, but um, the, the ghost of Christmas present takes him to a house where they're like, Oh, my God. Thank goodness that our landlord has died suddenly on this Christmas morn because... The, his interests are going to be handed over to someone else and someone else won't be anywhere near as ridiculously, inhumanly mean as him and kick us out of our homes during a pandemic. I mean, kick us out of our homes on Christmas Day like landlords do. And uh, it's, it's the twisted happiness at, it's not so much the misfortune of others, but that they can see that their lives are actually better because Scrooge is dead.
9: It's
6: relief. It's the weight of a horrible position being lifted off of you. And on some level, yeah, you're going to be jazzed about that, even if it means you're kind of celebrating a dude's death.
0: Hmm. Hell, in the 2022 version with Luke Evans, they go one further than that. It appears like all of London get together for a big carnival festival that Scrooge is dead, and they all romp down the street while the lead guy singing, whose debt is relieved dances on Scrooge's coffin. And Scrooge, following along, actually kind of gets into the rhythm of it, unaware of who's dead. That made me think, wow, you made London look terrible. (laughs) I never want to hurt anybody. We joke about guillotines, but uh, I would simply take the wealthy, sequester all their assets, and give them a million pounds to live on for the rest of their lives. Now that's not hurting anyone. In fact, it's being very kind. And if we only did this to the top 10 wealthiest billionaires in the world: Bernard Arnold, Elon Musk, Gautam Adani, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Larry Ellison, Mukesh Ambani, Carlos Slim Hilu, and Steve Bulmer, I would have 1 trillion 133 billion to redisperse. Minus 10 million. And if you do the maths on that, 1% of a trillion is 10 billion. And 1% of a billion is 10 million. So just the combined assets of the top 10 billionaires minus 1% of 1%. It's a little naive to put it in those terms. And economically speaking, it could be impossible. But I'd like to try.
4: Tis the season to be jolly and joyous. With a burst of pleasure, we feel it arrive. It's a season when the saints can employ us. To
2: spread the news
1: about peace and to keep love alive. Nice. But that's the thing. What, what Dickens was trying to achieve was to get everybody to help somebody that they know. If everybody who has means and resources helps someone they know who doesn't, mm. then guess what? Things become transformative. It's just mutual aid. It's yeah. what we need to have a real community is to actually have
6: people helping one another out and not necessarily... Distancing
1: themselves from it because they can't fix everything. Mm. Just giving a large donation to a charitable concern is a great way of feeling like you've done your bit without actually ever having to get involved.
0: Still do that. Yeah. But but- extend <laughs> it. Make it last all year. That's <laughs> yeah. the, like, just when you can help, help. Ultimately, it's it's it's, and again, what they're trying that the whole thing that this gets across is when you help people. I think about you, I, but you help, help others, others you can't help you can't helping help yourself. Help I was like where have I heard the muppets <laughs> sing that? Oh it's friggin' <laughs> Avenue Q. <laughs> the really dated musical <laughs> from well, the that, Bush era.
6: We we watched listened to the whole thing not too long ago as mm. just kind of a like lark and gosh that has aged like Butter. Yeah. Way, it's aged like milk. It is
0: some that there's some <coughs> the least of its crimes is Lucy the slut shaming. Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> Christmas morning, one of the hardest bits to buy in every uh, adaptation of this because the actor playing Scrooge has convinced you so hard that he's this horrible, monstrous man. He then has to take a sudden about face and become someone who exudes happiness and actually... You kind of, like, get swept up in in, in the, the joy of life that he has, which, again, kind of hammers home that when you help others, you can't help helping yourself. You will have a better, richer, fuller life for this rather than focusing on just the money side of things. So, I mean, again, It's a Wonderful Life concludes with a sort of a... Because of the kindness of everybody else, George can stop having all of this money anxiety that's poisoned his outlook on life. And uh, it's almost as though a society that that worships the almighty dollar is teaching everyone to be this level of anxiety-filled for not having enough, for not being able to get to a point where they can have as much as they could ever possibly want, and for not doing their civic duty and kicking everyone slightly beneath them in the face to make sure that they are the only ones remaining on the ladder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's a lovely ending, and Michael Caine, with his not great at singing voice, sings uh, the uh, reprise of uh, It Feels Like Christmas, followed by exactly as you say, The Love We Found, which is not whole without that very key setup. Because ultimately, Belle is lamenting, It's not about me anymore. We are no longer experiencing love. You're experiencing the obsession, and I can't have that in my life anymore. It's a. A sad acceptance, but being able to get out of this obsession after having thoroughly self-examined throughout the night by three characters that are basically his own internal demons, he recaptures that sense of joy for the world that he would have had had he allowed himself to at such an early age.
6: I think that's highlighted in the line a little bit earlier in the, the song he sings uh, just before this where he's proudly saying that every child will be a nephew and niece to him. He is going to have some kind of family in his last years, even though he squandered that in his youth. He's going to be a part of the world and not stowed away, only concerned with his finances.
0: Mm. And speaking of giving thanks and generosity, I would like to thank all of our patrons for this year. Who have kept coal in our fireplace. And a special thank you and a Merry Christmas to Aaron Lacluzet, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salgero, Dan Heppner, Dave Hickman, David Shealy, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, no Joel Robinson, earth. Jorn Clausen, Joe Gluck, Josh Waster, Kat Istman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Pullmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas-Haglio, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills jungius Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. We will see you all in the new year. With
2: those in need we see around us everywhere. Let us always love each other. Lead us to the light. Let us hear the voice of reason singing in the
7: from anger
2: and catch us when we fall teach us in our dreams and please, yes please bless, bless us one us and
9: all, and all. if you're
6: interested all. in another story that I takes the Christmas here. carol and kind of poses these kinds of people-changing questions in a little bit more of a more modern format. This year, um, Apple TV has released a musical called Spirited, uh, which is a sequel to The Christmas Carol that I was thoroughly impressed with. Um, I think Nathan will back me up on this, despite the fact that it stars... Will Ferrell. 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 Yeah, I was
1: going to say, that mm-hmm. might be the, the mystery fourth good Will Ferrell film. <laughs> it is, it is. I would I, replace every copy of Elf <laughs> with the spirit <laughs> if I
9: could.
11: The, the elevator pitch that I would give uh, to recommend it is that it is a Christmas carol by way of The Good Place.
0: Ah. Which also, by the way, the fact that Will Ferrell's in it corroborates a theory I had. We've been watching a lot of Sherlock Holmes for a episode or several coming up next year and I realized after watching Christopher Plummer play the early prototype version of Scrooge in The Man Who Invented Christmas uh, he also played Sherlock Holmes in the late 70s. Murder by Decree one of the best Sherlock Holmes films and I was like hang on Michael Caine also played Sherlock Holmes called Without a Clue. Patrick Stewart played Scrooge in one production, in 1999, directed by David Jones, and was not averse to donning the Sherlock Holmes garb and temperament on the holodeck. Basil Rathbone played Sherlock Holmes more than a dozen times, and was Scrooge in a 1959 TV adaptation. Tom Baker played Sherlock Holmes in an early 80s TV adaptation of The Hound of the Baskervilles and was in a BBC audio version of A Christmas Carol as Scrooge. George C. Scott in They Might Be Giants plays a judge who retreats into a fantasy after his wife's death imagining himself to be Sherlock Holmes and played Scrooge in a very famous adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Reginald Owen stepped in for an injured Lionel Barrymore to play Scrooge in MGM's A Christmas Carol and he played Dr. Watson in the 1932 Clive Brook Sherlock Holmes and Holmes himself in 1933's A Study in Scarlet. This one's a bit of a stretch, but Jim Carrey's Scrooge, counterpointed by Ace Ventura, a character the scriptwriter has said is based on Sherlock Holmes's temperament and inability to relate to humans. Benedict Cumberbatch plays TV's Sherlock, and hasn't been Scrooge yet, but the Grinch is American Scrooge. Will Ferrell played the great detective in the terrible film Holmes and Watson, as well as (laughs) Scrooge-inspirited. Oh my goodness, so basically, you either die Sherlock Holmes or you live long enough to see yourself become Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
3: Uh.
6: And yeah, Michael Caine is, as Scrooge in this is my favorite rendition of the oh, character. A... I didn't actually grow up watching this movie. I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, doing a version of the Christmas Carol every year in a community theater. So by the time that we actually got to the holiday season, we were Christmas Caroled out. We didn't watch versions right. of it in my family. But as soon as I moved out, as I got to high school and I wasn't living with my family anymore, I started watching them by myself as, like, pre-Christmas kind of get-into-the-mood stuff because I couldn't be a part of it directly anymore and eventually came across this one and just, just fell in love with it. And it's been so nice with, you know, my husband now watching this every year And I I can't be a part of the plays anymore, but I can still be a part of the Christmas carol through this.
11: This is probably my personal favorite version of a Christmas carol. Part of that is nostalgia, because I grew up watching it every Christmas with my brothers, and it's really earned a place as something that I consider a tradition. Uh, But also... The music in it is just impeccable. I think the Paul Williams lyrics are fantastic Mm. and really drive the emotional center of the film. Uh, And the score is also really good. Uh, It incorporates these little uh, motifs from existing Christmas carols uh, that it weaves throughout the music. And that's uh, really helps to uh, bring the mood and the tone into something that is uh, very special. Uh, And also the performances and the technical achievements of this movie are really something because whenever you're working with Muppets, you have to remember that everything needs to be a set because everyone needs to be able to be underneath the floor with their hands in a puppet. And it means there's a lot of logistical things you have to work around when you have puppets interacting with people. Uh, And the fact that they cared enough to do all of that work on what was a pretty slim budget
9: Mm.
0: uh,
11: really shows how much they cared about the story and about telling it in a way that people would resonate with.
0: So before we go, Mackenzie and Nathan, it feels apropos to tell our audience where they can go to hear you talk about nothing but Muppets.
6: Oh so, yes, we have a podcast where we talk about Muppet things. Uh, Nathan, do you want to give the details on that?
11: It is called The Rainbow Connection and you can find it wherever podcasts are found we're on uh apple podcasts and spotify and google podcasts i don't remember what the new service is called but we're on there too uh and yeah it's the two of us we do some research into how muppet movies or shows or basically anything involving jim henson creature shop creations uh are made, and then we talk about them. Yes.
6: We are also uh, two of the cast members of a uh, role-playing podcast called Dice Weave. If you want to catch on uh, season two of that, we're doing a adventure in The Strange. It's a, sort of a fringe X-Files multiverse hopping thing, and we're, we were quite proud of of the work that's gone into that and the characters we've built. And I think, uh, I think people will like it.
0: Thank you both so, so much for coming on and bringing all of your know-how with you.
6: Thank you for <laughs> having us. It's so much fun to get to talk about this with people who, who really also care about the source material and, you know, will give them up. It's the time of day.
0: <laughs> we. We'll be back next week with, I'm going to say, one of the best shows we've ever put together. And I have been so looking forward to unveiling this for you all. But it's on something you probably wouldn't expect. We've looked back on the four Fantastic Four films. That's the two you've probably seen with Chris Evans in them. The one you shouldn't see with Miles Teller in it. And the one nobody got to see from 1994, produced purely for licensing reasons by Roger Corman the few things they got right, the lots of things they got wrong, and we talk about how Marvel could at some point adapt their first family into a movie about these guys that people genuinely love and isn't the Incredibles. We delve into why the Fantastic Four are important and what they're all about, along with Doctor Doom, Galactus, and one of our favorite new superheroes, the Silver Surfer. So, until then, I've been Alex Shaw, you could be piggy. I
1: can't do a muppet. I've been sharing <laughs> joy. And
0: God bless, bless us, everyone. <laughs> with a
5: thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be now, new and these to me. you
8: and these to me. Will
5: bring love, hope, and peace to me. Love, hope, and peace to me. Yes, and every night will end. And every day will start with a grateful prayer and a thankful heart. With an open smile and with open doors, I will bid you welcome what is mine is yours. With a glass raised to toast your health, with a glass raised to toast your health. And a promise to share the wealth, promise to share the wealth. I will sail a friendly course. While a friendly child On a sea of love and a thankful heart Life is like a journey Who knows when it ends Yes, and if you need to know The measure of a man You simply count his friends Stop and look around you Glory that you see is born again each day. Don't let it slip away. How precious life can be! With a thankful heart that is wide awake, I do make this promise: every breath I take will be used now to sing your praise, now to sing your praise. and to beg you to share my day a loving guarantee that even if we part i will hold you close in a thankful heart i will hold you close in a thankful heart soul and made my world brand new there's part of me a place inside that now belongs to you the love we found